Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. free speech to free minds you're listening to the david knight show as the clock strikes 13 it's thursday the 13th of july year of our lord 2023 well, today we're going to begin by taking a look at the FBI hearings in Congress. What will come of it? As a matter of fact, if, if you look at it, it was one of the most uh, shameful displays of arrogance and unaccountability. Uh, there were some hot back and forth, but will anything come of it? So we're going to talk about the basis of their 702 program. Uh, how they have skirted the law, skirted the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, which was designed to specifically prevent this type of stuff, and, of course, the Constitution and human rights, uh, as if those mattered. We'll be right back. Congressional hearing yesterday, and in it you had Democratic, um, or I should say Democrat. I, I don't like to say Democratic. It's the Democrat Party. It's not a Democratic Party. And uh, anyway, Democrat California Representative Zoe Lofgren asked FBI Director Christopher Wray, who's on Capitol Hill taking questions and taking hits, if the FBI is purchasing location data from commercial sources without a warrant. Yeah, so uh, this is the same type of thing that was uh, done with James Clapper. And um, you had um, the senator asked him, uh, you know, are you spying on Americans without a warrant? Uh, James Clapper is not a very good liar. 
but uh, Christopher Ray is. He's very arrogant. He's very evasive. And here's how that went down. The FBI purchasing location data from commercial sources without a warrant. Uh, this is an area that requires a little more precision and context for me to be able to answer that fully. So let me have my staff follow back up with you so that I make sure that I don't leave something important out. I, I'll just close with uh, the FBI had 3.4 million backdoor searches of the FISA uh, database without a warrant in 2021. Can you say whether the FBI is continuing to search the FISA database without a warrant for American uh, Americans? Well, if you're asking about our use of 702 queries, um, those are uh, there is no warrant requirement under the Fourth Amendment for those queries. Nonsense. Uh, it's fairly well settled. It's a lie. The 3.4 million figure that you're talking about, I guess I would say a couple things. One, that's not 3.4 million people. That's 3.4 million search terms or query terms. Second, second, that's not a, those are not uh, queries in violation of rules. Those are just queries under the- My time has expired, but the committee will look into the warrant requirement later. Sure will. Sure will. The gentleman from Florida is recognized. The American people need to understand what just happened. My call, my Democrat colleague just asked the director of the FBI whether or not they are buying information about our fellow Americans. And the answer is, well, we'll just have to get back to you on that. It sounds really complicated. But I have other questions. Why don't they do something to stop it? You could prohibit the FBI from doing that. You could prohibit the social media companies, phone companies, all these people from selling that information to the government. You know, I don't really care if they sell my information to somebody because they want to sell me some consumer product. I do care if they uh, sell it to the government. And we're going to show you, as this was happening, what we're finding out about what they're doing with the information. This is not some just uh, innocuous curiosity on the part of the FBI. No, they take action on this. And so this is an issue of substance. But you notice how he was all ready for this stuff. You know, James Clapper said, uh, well, uh, Senator, uh, 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 not, not knowingly, I uh, guess. You know? And then, of course, within a couple of months, we had the Snowden leaks, which showed that they were doing so. Everybody knew it. Everybody knew it then. You had Michael Hayden, who uh, got on and said, well, I, I, I blame that senator. He... he he knew, and all of his staff knew, and all those senators knew that we were doing that kind of stuff. And it's like, oh, really? Well, uh, why didn't they stop it? Why didn't anybody else say anything about that? And so Christopher Ray, instead, if, if what it reminded me of was a questioning by Rand Paul by um, uh, the guy that calls himself Rachel. Rachel Levine, Levin, I don't know what he calls himself. Uh, I call him Dick Levine. Uh, but uh, Anyway, Dick Levine, in terms of talking about the fact that he had uh, this guy who's now dressing up and pretending to be a woman, and of course the mainstream press pretends along with him, give him gave him the Woman of the Year award and things like that, and uh, he hung out with kids. He was a psychologist who groomed kids. Nothing to be concerned about with it. But what he said was, well, Senator, that's a very complex issue, and I'd like to talk to you about that in private. Basically, what this guy is saying as well. And as Rand Paul pressed him, he just gave that little canned answer. Why don't you just take the fifth? You know, 
I'm not going to self-incriminate myself as being a pedophile. Just take the Fifth Amendment. No, no, it's a very complex issue. We should talk about that in private. That's what this guy is saying, Christopher Wray. And so uh, Gates had a bit of a moment yesterday. And with that and another response that we'll have later, my Democrat colleague just asked the director of the FBI whether or not we are buying information about fellow Americans. And the answer is, well, we'll just have to get back to you on that. Sounds really complicated. Yeah, well, um, the 702 thing that is happening there, you heard the uh, FBI director, Ray, say, well, um, this is certainly allowed under the Fourth Amendment. Who says? I've read the Fourth Amendment. I don't see anything in there that allows warrantless searches under any conditions. That doesn't say, you know, you will get a search warrant unless, unless they pass something they call the 702. Look, the Constitution is above laws. That's why you have the reviews. But, of course, in this particular situation, you've had the Supreme Court. You've had multiple, multiple administrations of both Republicans and Democrats, including Trump, who have gone along with this who don't have a problem with this. And uh, so you've got uh, the executive, the legislative, and the judicial branch all conspiring to get rid of the obvious direct meaning of the Constitution, as they have on so many issues. Whether you're talking about a search warrant and due process, or you're talking about the Second Amendment, they all do it on all these issues. They swear to uphold the Constitution, we should hold them to it. And we should understand they have no authority once they have violated that oath. They do have a lot of power. And so if you go back to 2017, uh, the Section 702, which they had put in with uh, George W. Bush as part of his Act Against Patriots that he called the Patriot Act. It was all about domestic surveillance. And and let's go back to to the middle of the 20th century. We had the creation of the CIA and the NSA after World War II. You, know, you had uh, Truman who said uh, Jagger Hoover's FBI is trending toward a Gestapo. So what did he do? He created the NSA. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, I guess he thought it was going to be a check against it. There's a lesson for this in that, right? And so you had all these organizations which from their inception were spying on Americans, and that's why you had the church committee hearing. Again, as I've said many times, it was not about the heart attack gun or trying to assassinate Castro. It was about the fact they were spying on Americans. And so they created the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act to prohibit that. But they said, well, we still need to have spies, but only on foreigners who are in foreign countries. Not even foreigners in America can you spy on them without a search warrant. But if you want to spy on foreigners in foreign countries, we're going to set up a secret court. And you can go to that and get your search warrants there. Well, of course, there's, uh, you know, that has now become the means for getting a search warrant for Mr. and Mrs. America. With their 702 and the rest of these prevarications, they have beaten around the bush of the Constitution. And so the 702 part of this, if you recall, was set to expire. December 31st of 2017. When did Trump become president? January of 2017. So this is after the end of his first year. And uh, he did not push to stop that. He did not veto Congress when they extended it. And uh, I've got to say, you know, it would have been a perfect example, uh, very popular, if he would have stood against it. So why didn't Trump stand against that? 
Well, he pandered. He pandered to the deep state, to the intelligence community. To the people like Gina Haspel, who had produced the lies for the uh, Iraq war, he put her in charge of the CIA. So he pandered to them. Understand, as I've said before, that the intelligence community, the deep state community is, is, you know, is not, uh, but especially the intelligence community, is not monolithic. And um, you have to understand, uh, there's different factions in that. They fight against each other. You got to understand there's a faction that supported Trump. You know, Steve Pachinik was one of their mouthpieces, one of them. And, you know, he was making crazy allegations. Well, we're going to have to just assassinate Obama and stuff like that on Alex's show. And uh, we got to get Trump in there by whatever means. So Trump was very allied with certain segments of the intelligence community, uh, which uh, didn't help him because they came after him as well. So as they're coming against him, they're coming at the American people. He does not want to stand with the American people. He tries to curry favor with the people in the intelligence agencies who are coming after the American people. So Section 702 basically nullified FISA. Again, FISA was to stop any surveillance of anybody unless they were a foreign individual in a foreign country. But Section 702 allows them to spy on internet and telephone communications of people in the United States and abroad without a warrant, so long as a significant purpose of the surveillance is to gather foreign intelligence information. So you can say, well, this is uh, to get foreign information. And it was um, something that grew out of the George W. Bush administration. Again, the Act Against Patriots. Uh, their secret surveillance program monitoring the international communications of people in the United States. So, you know, let's just know, let's, you know, we want to dot all the I's and cross all the T's and make sure that we don't um, leave ourselves in any kind of legal jeopardy. So let's just pretend to uh, nullify uh, the FISA thing. And actually, they did nullify it, but they didn't nullify, they didn't pretend to, they openly nullified it, but they did not nullify, in any of these cases, the Constitution. That says you've got to have a, a warrant. You see, FISA was in line with the Constitution. The Constitution is not saying anything uh, about um, what these agencies are going to do in foreign countries. That's why, because of the uh, Constitution, they could not spy on foreign citizens in the United States. It wasn't just that, well, let's, where do we draw this line? Well, they drew the line at the time by looking at what the Constitution said. And then George W. Bush erased that line, erased the Constitution. So December 31st, 2017, as that was coming up, there were uh, articles about that. It was originally adopted, this 702 nullification of the FISA Act. was adopted in 2008, renewed in 2012, and was going to expire 2017 unless Congress passes legislation to reauthorize it, which they did, and Trump did not veto it. And, um, and authorizing massive surveillance programs, failing to put strong safeguards in place to prevent the abuse of these highly intrusive monitoring powers, the law violates human rights to privacy. Now, this is coming from the Human Rights Watch. They, they really don't care about the Constitution either. They're talking about fundamental human rights, and again, we should understand that that's the case as well, but we're talking about the government. They've got an objective standard that they have pledged to uphold that they ignore. So does the government monitor U.S. citizens under Section 702? This article from 2017 says yes. Although the government cannot designate, quote, United States persons, unquote, 
as, quote, targets, unquote, of its warrantless 702 monitoring, it can still capture or scan their internet or telephone conversations as part of this surveillance. And when we look at this, internet or telephone, remember, it was all telephone at the time of the church committee hearings. AT&T had, a, had been given monopoly status. You've now got, for the internet, you've got several corporations that have been given oligarchy status. They are the deputized state working with this. A U.S. person is a legal term that includes U.S. citizen and green card holders, as well as some corporations. Corporations are persons, they say. And associations. Well, they're artificial persons created by the state. And uh, when we look at this, as uh, you look at the fraud involved in all of this, um, JFK talking, uh, not JFK, RFK Jr. talking about the uh, pharmaceutical companies and, and some of these others, uh, we're saying, um, he was specifically, though, talking about oil companies. He said, well, you know, when I said I wanted to lock them up and give them the death sentence, I was talking about a corporate death sentence. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, maybe that's true. Uh, it's, it's a good idea, regardless. And, um, you know, if a company is acting fraudulently, they need to be given the death penalty. I think the same thing is true of agencies. I think the FBI deserves a death penalty as an institution. They deserve the death penalty. Dissolve it. Dissolve the NSA. Dissolve the CIA. They all deserve the death penalty. But of course, that's not in the card. So it got reauthorized, as we know. Then uh, in 2019, how to address newly revealed abuses of Section 702 surveillance. They haven't just stopped with the original abuses. They keep extending these abuses. Of even... <laughs> Their law that nullifies FISA and the Constitution. See, they've used FISA, which is supposed to control them. They've used this. They've turned it around and used it as something that gives them plausible deniability and legal cover to spy on people, to spy on Americans. FISA was supposed to stop that. But they turned it around with 702, and they took the very thing that was supposed to stop them from spying on Americans and used that as a tool. To spy on Americans. This is why I say nothing short of a death penalty for these institutions is sufficient. You, they cannot be reformed. And we have to look at whether or not many of these government agencies are, are even should exist, and they shouldn't. You know, we can get government to fit in the Constitution. If we did, we could afford it. Once these conversations are intercepted and stored, the FBI and agencies exploit what is known as the backdoor search loophole. They query Section 702 databases for information about Americans, including criminal investigations, without getting a warrant at any stage. So it is completely warrantless, completely unconstitutional. So how is this being applied? Well, as all this was happening, Matt Taibbi said, uh, is the FBI helping Ukraine's secret service censor Americans. So huh, the FBI has made itself a tool of the Ukrainian Nazis in order to censor Americans. I spent much of the weekend, he said, combing through the Twitter files, for example, of the censorship enterprise, quote unquote, that was described by attorneys general in the landmark Missouri versus Biden lawsuit. This was the one where the judge says, well, I think you're going to win to the attorney generals. 
the, the government is basically using social media uh, as a, a tool, using them for plausible deniability. As I've said, uh, the, uh, the, the internet companies are the deputized state. They're the deputies of the deep state. And it's just amazing to me when all this stuff was happening five, six years ago, how you had all these conservative and libertarian organizations say, no, corporations can do whatever they want to do. You know, that, that's, I don't like what they're doing. I don't like the fact they're censoring me or you, but they can do whatever they want to. They're, they're persons, they're private persons. No, they're, they don't have God-given rights, you see. They have government-granted privileges. They were not created by God. They're not persons. They're not humans, even though they pretend that they are. We are. And so because we are created by God, we have inalienable rights. But because these things are abstract creations of uh, government, they must not be given protections. But the reality is, is that these abstract creations of government, these artificial persons, these corporations, have become like Frankenstein monsters that live eternally. And that's true of these bureaucracies as well. But it is very concerning when we look at how these companies are now moving into militarized stuff, moving into artificial intelligence and other things like that. Uh, we'll live forever. Anyway, um, so he says, as I was getting ready to do a report on this, remember the judge in this Missouri versus Biden lawsuit, a lot of different attorneys general as part of this saying you got to stop this. And the judge says, I think they're going to win. And so I'm going to have an injunction against Biden talking to these uh, people, including with them. And immediately the Biden White House says, no, we want to be able to still collude with people. They have now just, just out of their reaction to that judge's injunction, they have verified what we've said all along, that the censorship is actually coming from them. It's not coming from the you know, the uh, woke people at Google and Twitter, it's coming from the government. And we'll have more examples of this in this uh, Matt Tyvee's article here. He says, as I'm about to publish this, a new report was issued by the House Weaponization of Government Committee that takes the Twitter files theme in several crazy new directions. A month ago, Aaron Mate of the Gray Zone published a new piece about a bizarre finding in the Twitter files. An FBI agent named Alexander Kosbanets had forwarded to Twitter a list sent to the FBI by Ukraine's security service, the SBU. These accounts, Kosbanets said, were suspected by the SBU of spreading fear and disinformation. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's in the uh, eye of the beholder, right? So there were about 70-odd account names on the list. Most of them were Russian, but one stood out. Aaron Mate's name. Here is a list. He puts it there, and you can see they're even in Cyrillic characters there. And um, <laughs> it's got Aaron's name in there. Um, the shame of this story wasn't that the SBU sent this list over, but rather that the FBI collaborated in the effort, even having the gall to forward the name of a respected, award-winning Canadian journalist to Twitter. And to its credit, Twitter trust and safety chief at the time, Yoel Roth, even Yoel Roth pushed back on this. Not that I have any respect for him, but at least in this particular instance, he did the right thing. Uh, he pushed back. He said uh, about Aaron's name, he said, uh, quote, authentic news outlets and reporters who cover the conflict with a pro-Russian stance 
are unlikely to be found in violation of our rules, unquote. Nevertheless, the fact that the FBI even tried this lunatic stunt is damning. Now, thanks to the House Committee about government weaponization, we find out this situation with Aaron appears not to have been a one-off incident. In fact, the committee found that since the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, there's been an ongoing pattern of mass censorship requests funneled from the Ukrainian Secret Service, the SBU, through the FBI, to a whole variety of platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, for starters. As the report notes, the FBI, at the request of the SBU, flagged for social media companies that the authentic accounts of Americans, including a verified U.S. State Department account. State Department account. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. <laughs> uh, what is it? Well, we'll talk about that in a second. And those belonging to American journalists, the FBI and the SBU repeatedly requested the removal or the suspension of authentic accounts expressing unambiguously pro-Ukrainian views, as well as those voicing opposition to Putin. <laughs> to grab everybody, right? Thou shalt not speak of anything about this war. And of course, when they talk about authentic accounts, that's in contrast to it being a bot. Uh, so... Um, <laughs> this is where we are. The committee report also notes that the lists that the SBU sent, the Ukrainian Secret Service, or the spy network, if you will, the Ukrainian CIA, if you will, which sometimes contain thousands of names, mostly targeted accounts from places like Russia or Belarus. However, they also roped in Americans. Uh, people like a New York photographer or the manager of a moving company in South Carolina a musician in Minnesota, a professor and an author of children's books, and even an Instagram account belonging to the U.S. State Department. And again, what, that what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that this is automated, computerized, and you can expect this to get a lot worse as they start uh, adding more elements of artificial intelligence. Everybody's going to be identified as a subject, one way, uh, a suspect, one way or the other. Uh, so he said, um, in addition to that, it, the, there was a pushback by Joel Roth uh, against the identification and targeting of Aaron Mate. But he said, and for the most part, Twitter immediately took down any accounts that the FBI requested to be taken down. He said, in one shot, you can see the FBI asked to remove three accounts. That gets forwarded to Twitter. Twitter immediately suspends those accounts. 
But more importantly, when there's a glitch and the accounts remain up, the FBI immediately writes back and says, what's the deal? We wrote you. Why is this still up? So that shows that the nature of this relationship was not a collaboration. It's like somebody was reporting to an authority. That's why I've called them for the longest time the deputized state. We know that. You didn't, you know, we've now got the receipts. We've now got the documents and the conversations where they're doing this back and forth. That's great. But you could see this before. Uh, it wasn't a theory. It was, we had plenty of circumstantial evidence. And you know, the thing is, if, if you've got enough circumstantial evidence, you can convict somebody, right? You know, circumstantial evidence isn't something you just throw away. People get convicted based on a preponderance of circumstantial evidence. There was a preponderance of circumstantial evidence for all this stuff. That's why I was so confident of it for years. And anyway, Twitter is taking them down before they even investigate. He said they later determined that they couldn't find anything connecting them to any bad actors. In fact, one of them was from Canada. So that's the problem. If it's not connected with a crime, they're just asking to take accounts down because they don't like them. That's the crime. The crime is on the side of the FBI. Acting criminally, acting illegally, acting in defiance of the law and the Constitution. It needs to be given the death penalty. And so one of the reasons that he was there was to push back against the idea that uh, there's these radical fringe Republicans who want to defund the FBI. Uh, take it apart. Don't just defund it. Disintegrate it. So what's the solution? Do we have more oversight and reporting to the FBI? No, I think they're too corrupt to uh, reform. As a matter of fact, though, uh, what you wind up with is uh, Christopher Wray, the director of the FBI, made this ludicrous case. <laughs> I saw this. I thought that they, he might as well be uh, the Professor Harold Hill from uh, The Music Man. Oh, you're going to have trouble right here in D.C. City. And, uh, you know, everything's going to go wild if you get rid of us, right? Yeah, so uh, he says, you're going to have violent gangs, child predators, terrorist attacks, knickerbockers below the knee. I mean, this is going to be bad stuff coming up here. How could we ever survive as a country without the FBI? How did we have uh, a country without the FBI or without the IRS, or without the Federal Reserve, without all these other things, right? It was a much better country without it. The question is, we need to ask, why were those things added? And uh, all about the same time as well. You know, it's part of Woodrow Wilson's deception to push us into World War I that um, and the political ambitions of the then Attorney General Palmer, who wanted to run for president, that they did the Palmer raids, and the man that he put in charge was FBI, what would eventually become the FBI's first director and mentor, Jagger Hoover. Uh, Jagger Hoover, unlike Palmer, was the real master politician. He used it to promote himself over his boss, and he used it to establish this bureaucracy that we call the FBI. It's now a bureaucracy of instigation more than it is investigation. They're not really too interested in investigating a lot of things like the Bidens or 
uh, <laughs> any of that kind of stuff. They investigate their opponents. They instigate phony terrorist attacks so that like some kind of a pyromaniac uh, fireman, they can uh, put out the fire and declare themselves to be heroes. But uh, Christopher Ray is saying um, dire consequences to the safety and security of the United States if right-wing Republicans in Congress manage to make good on their calls to defund the IRS. He said, here's what it's going to be. We're going to have trouble. We would have hundreds more violent criminals out on the street. Oh, really? Maybe the solution to that is to get rid of the Soros attorney generals or district attorneys. We'd have dozens more violent gangs terrorizing communities, hundreds more child predators on the loose, hundreds more kids left at those predators' mercy instead of being rescued. Well, most of the child trafficking that is happening, the explosion of child trafficking that's happening is happening as a result of the open borders. And also, that is a secondary effect of the war on drugs. The war on drugs created these massively powerful and militarized drug cartels throughout Mexico, Central, and South America. And these uh, organizations have now diversified into other forms of business. And a big part of that is uh, not just drug trafficking now. They've gotten into human trafficking. And the Cloward and Piven strategy to flood this country with massive waves of immigration to create chaos and to take down our economy more than people can handle, uh, more than can be assimilated, and people who don't want to be assimilated, and people who don't want freedom, they want free stuff and all the rest of the stuff. That program has now funded the expansion in human trafficking. Scores of threats, he said, from the Chinese Communist Party being left unaddressed, hundreds of ransomware attacks left unmitigated, terrorist attacks, both jihadist and domestic, violent extremists. Uh, all this not prevented, and it would succeed against America. Well, let me say, none of these threats are more dangerous than the FBI and a criminal government out of control. All of these threats together are not more dangerous than a criminal government that is out of control. And when you look at these other aspects, right, the trafficking stuff, that is a matter of policy. That's federal policy to do that. And of course, the Border Patrol is tasked with doing something about that, not the FBI. When you look at the uh, Communist Party and ransomware attacks unmitigated and you know threats from the Chinese with that, uh, that's CISA. They created that agency to do cybersecurity. Uh, so when you look at all of this stuff, again, nothing is more dangerous to us than an out-of-control government. No foreign actor is more dangerous to us than a government that has been so corrupt and is so targeting, is so focused on targeting its own people. And the war on drugs, we even got a separate bureaucracy about that. How did they uh, make a case for themselves, even if that was something that was effective? But as he talks about it, he says, it's not uncommon right now for a single FBI office and a single operation to seize enough fentanyl to wipe out an entire state. Well, it's the failed war on drugs, this law enforcement approach to it, that has given us things like fentanyl. It hasn't done anything to reduce addiction or use because it's not a law enforcement problem. It's a spiritual problem. But when you start a policy of prohibition, you always get 
more of what you prohibited. You always get organized crime. You always get corruption inside of the government. And this has corrupted all of our government. Law enforcement agencies and courts and all the rest of this have been corrupted by this. And you get more potent forms of whatever it is that you're trying to prohibit. That is always the case. So fentanyl is an adverse effect of the war on drugs. And, uh, of course, you want to really get to the source of the war on drugs? Take a look at the CIA. CIA. Ultimately, the people most hurt by some ill-conceived effort to defund the FBI, he said. The people most hurt are the American people that live in every district represented on this committee. Now, we'll be just fine. Get rid of the FBI. Get rid of them. Three key questions that he refused to answer under oath. Uh, this is from uh, Breitbart. Number one, Thomas Massey, a representative from Kentucky. How was the second bomb found at the Democrat National Committee headquarters? Well, um, he uh, kind of played, uh, <laughs> uh, played dumb on it in a sense. He said, do you know how the second bomb was found at the DNC? And when do you plan on answering our letter about that? He said, well, as to the letter, I will work with the department to make sure that we can figure out what information we can provide. As you know, this is a very active ongoing investigation. There's some restrictions on that said, Ray Massey said, well, can you tell us how the second pipe bomb was found at the DNC? I'm not going to get into that here. He said. 900 days ago said Massey, this happened. And you said you had total confidence that we would apprehend the subject. But again, you understand that um, he's not accountable to them. All of these federal agencies, whether you're talking about the FBI or any of them, they do their own thing. The only thing that Congress has is the purse strings. Cut off their money. They will not respond to anything you say. They will not obey any rule any new rule, any reform of 702 or anything else that you give them. They are a lawless agency. Stop paying them. Stop paying them. Matt Gates uh, said, um, uh, asked if Hunter Biden was shaking down this Chinese energy company for money. Here's that back and forth. I'm sitting here with my father. I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me and every person he knows and my ability to forever hold a grudge, that you will regret not following my direction. I am sitting here waiting for the call with my father. <laughs> my Sounds Godfather. like a shakedown, doesn't it, Director? I'm not going to get into commenting on that. You, you, you seem deeply uncurious. I'm not going to get into investigating it, you? Almost suspiciously uncurious. Are you protecting the Bidens? Absolutely not. The FBI well, does not the has no Hold interest on. You in won't answer the question about whether or not that's a shakedown, and everybody knows why you won't answer it. Because to, ev to the millions of people who will see this, they know it is. And your inability to acknowledge that is deeply revealing about you. Yeah. 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 I'm not going to get into that. I'm not going to answer that question. Yeah. Well, it's uh, deeply revealing about you, isn't it? Then Andy Biggs. Asked whether undercover assets or confidential human sources were at January the 6th. He said to Ray, he said, how many agents were actually uh, agents or human resources? How many were present at the Capitol complex in the vicinity uh, or the vicinity on January the 6th? Well, again, it's 
going to get confusing because it depends on when we were deployed and responded to the breach that occurred, said Ray. Big said, you and I both know that we're talking about different things here. And please don't distract because we're focusing on those who were there in an undercover capacity on January the 6th. How many were there? And he says, again, I'm not sure I can give you that number. As I said here, I'm not sure that there were undercover agents on the scene. <laughs> he said. Uh, and so Biggs says, I find that kind of a remarkable statement. Director, at this point, you don't know whether there were undercover federal agents, FBI agents in the crowd or the Capitol on January the 6th. Again, you know, 900 days or so. And this has been the big focus of these guys. He doesn't know it. I know nothing about this, right? He said, uh, Ray said, I say that because I want to be very careful. There have been a number of court filings related to some of these topics. Big says, uh, I thought I heard you say you didn't know whether there were FBI agents or informants or human sources in the Capitol or in the vicinity on January the 6th. Did I misunderstand you? So you are acknowledging that there were undercover agents? Ray says, as I said here right now, I do not believe there were undercover agents. <laughs> um, Big says, uh, did you have any assets present that day? And the crowd, when it comes to what you are calling assets, or what we would call confidential human sources. And he says, well, I want to be careful as much as I said in response to an earlier question. There are court filings that I think speak to this, that I'm happy to make sure that we get to you, assuming that they're not under seal. And that can better answer the question than I can as I sit here right now. Oh, okay. Well, again, it's a secretive agency. He's not going to say anything to these congressmen. This should tell all of us, you know, just as, as you see those attitudes there. Again, they're not going to obey any orders to reform. They are a law unto themselves, an arrogant, unaccountable, unelected bureaucracy. And they need to be defunded and dissolved. That's the only solution. Anything less than that is uh, total nonsense. So on um, another article, uh, you have, uh, let's see, who wrote this article? Um, well, it's on Zero Hedge. I'm not sure who the author is. It doesn't show up on my printout here. Uh, but, um, oh, okay. These are questions from Vivek, Vivek Ramaswamy. He says, I've got 15 questions I would like to ask Ray. Uh, he says, uh, number one, if U.S. voters in 2024 elect a U.S. president who seeks to shut down the FBI, what's your recommended plan to help execute this policy directive in an orderly manner? Because he knows that he wouldn't, right? If you were told to disband, would you? <laughs> uh, two, he says, John Durham issued a lengthy report in May accusing the FBI of acting negligently in opening the Trump-Russia investigation in 2016 based on insufficient information. As head of the Bureau, after having read and reflected on Mr. Durham's report, assuming that he has, right, does he care, uh, what steps will the Bureau take to prevent baseless, politicized investigations like that which impeded Trump's first term in office? Number three, in 2020, you claimed that Antifa was an ideology, not an organization. Do you still believe that? If yes, who or what exactly do you believe destroyed downtown Portland? Who or what firebombed businesses and attacked the city courthouse for months? Number four, regarding the events of January the 6th at the Capitol, 
There have been multiple reports suggesting that undercover FBI agents were involved in fomenting protesters. Can you clarify the FBI's precise role in this situation and, and provide explanation of the facts? Number five, considering cases like Gretchen Whitmer's kidnapping plot, quote unquote, do you believe the FBI led entrapment is and should be unlawful? Because that's, that has basically become their foundational MO for all their public cases. They're all based on instigation and entrapment. Number six, will you share the Jeffrey Epstein client list with the public? Ah, I guess. It is interesting, isn't it, how little we hear about that as much as we're hearing about child trafficking and the rest of the stuff, how little we are hearing about the fact that we're not even allowed to see the Jeffrey Epstein client list. What does that tell you? Anyway, uh, will you investigate members of Congress who use taxpayer slush fund for hush money to hide sexual assault allegations? This has been going on for a very long time. Uh, Dennis Hastert is a good example of it, but Nancy Pelosi has also been involved in that. They've got a slush fund that is set up to hide, uh, you know, pay people off, keep them quiet when uh, they are discovered. What is your opinion about the Department of Justice labeling concerned parents at school board meetings as domestic terrorists? Because that'd be one of the things that we would lose, as you just heard Christopher Ray with his long list of all the trouble that we're going to have, we get rid of his agency. One of those is, you know, we would not have these domestic terrorists, you know, the people who show up and speak out at a school board. Or, you know, the people who have been uh, manipulated and entrapped, like this Whitmer kidnapping case. What alternatives did you evaluate before sending FBI agents to raid the residence of a former U.S. president? Why do you believe that a settlement between Hunter Biden and the U.S. Department of Justice for a 10-plus-year-old offense was announced only within a couple of weeks following the federal indictment of the 45th U.S. president? Why did the FBI refuse to cooperate with Congress in respect to oversight inquiries pertaining to then-Vice President Joe Biden's alleged involvement with a $5 million bribery scheme in a Ukrainian company? Yeah, what about all that FISA stuff, right? I mean, you've got, um, they're constantly looking at foreign actors, we're told. That's why they got to have FISA and the 702. And, um, you know, you got that 702 thing there. So you should have been able to pick up Ukraine. You should have been able to pick up their American accomplices like the Bidens. But you know nothing about this because you're not interested, right? Is the FBI investigating General Mark Milley? for a supposed back-channel discussions with communist Chinese government shortly after the 2020 U.S. presidential election. As a matter of fact, he openly admitted to that. Oh, yeah, I'm talking to the Chinese about this stuff, coordinating with them against uh, Trump, because I'm afraid Trump's going to push the button. Uh, how many FBI agents were fired last year? How many should have been fired, he says. Your predecessor, James Comey, received a multi-million dollar book deal and charges six-figure speaking fees. <clears throat> Do you believe this is appropriate behavior for a former director of the FBI? It's not appropriate behavior for politicians. What it is is it's a, a payoff for what they did. You know, elections are an advanced auction of stolen goods. But then after they retire, they go on the speaking tours, and the Clintons and the Comeys and, and other Republicans get paid off at that point, pretending that what they have to say is so important that you're going to give them 
you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to speak to your organization. Now they're just being paid for what they did. Uh, do you believe it's appropriate for the FBI to celebrate the legacy of J. Edgar Hoover, the namesake of the building in which the FBI is currently headquartered? Yeah, that's what I've said for the longest time. You want to know if the FBI is a good organization? Yeah. Just look at the name on the building and look at the history of that guy. And so here's what they're going to do. Jim Jordan is going to get tough. Well, this guy, he can give a tongue lashing like nobody you can, nobody else. Jim Jordan, boy, he's really good at this stuff. And uh, so can Gates, but they're not going to do anything. Jim Jordan is now pushing for a new FBI headquarters in Alabama. He wants to get them out of Washington, D.C. and move them to Alabama. That's it. That's it. And it's going to be an expansion. Uh, just get them 700 miles away. You think that's going to stop them, Jim? Uh, wants to put them in Huntsville uh, and wants to fund that. They are going to our overarching goals of the Huntsville expansion expansion are to enhance operations and create synergies between the FBI program areas so that all currently spread out geographically and functionally can also create resiliency and continuity of operations. So we're going to um, we're going to fix this by expanding the FBI and putting them in Huntsville, Alabama. Wow. That's the plan. That's the plan. Meanwhile, you got the secret service stonewalling over the cocaine stuff, and they are going to be going before the, um, uh, house committee to get their tongue lashing. But of course, nothing will be done by that either. And, uh, so, uh, the secret service is going to brief Congress. Oh, you better believe the answers are going to be very brief and they're going to be very vague. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
Making sense common again. You're listening to The David Knight Show. Well, welcome back. I want to start the news here. Let's uh, news on some various miscellaneous subjects. But I want to begin with a correction of what I've had to say. I had uh, a listener, Ty, who contacted me and said, I've been looking. I can't find that Trump gave a Medal of Freedom to Fauci on that last day. And so when I went back and checked, I had read multiple articles talking about how he gave him the Medal of Freedom on the last day. It was not a Medal of Freedom. It was a commendation, a commendation medal that is handed out by presidents. And of course, uh, uh, you know, Trump handed out a few of those than um, most of the presidents that we've had recently. Uh, Bush, um, when you look at the Medal of Freedom that is given, uh, Trump gave a lot of Medal of Freedoms to golf players and things like that. And, uh, but he gave this, uh, the commendations for Operation Warp Speed team that he handed out on that last day. Uh, I think it, regardless of whether it's a Medal of Freedom, which is more rare, uh, it is still an indication of the fact that he is not, um, and you've seen this in what he said about Fauci. You know, he doesn't criticize Fauci. Uh, just like he brags about the vaccine, he does not criticize Fauci. So fundamentally, it's right, but the medal was mislabeled. It's not a Medal of Freedom, and I emphasize that, so I need to correct that. The Medal of Freedom, uh, you typically these are done behind closed doors. You can see the pictures where they got a medal on there back behind somebody, and you know the picture of uh, Obama uh, standing behind uh, Biden, and you know medal is uh, there in, in Biden's chest, and he's attaching it uh, from behind. Uh, Obama did a lot of those. He did 117 Medal of Freedoms. Uh, Bush before him, Bush W, did 83. He took it up to 117. Trump only handed out 24. You know, golfers and friends and things like that. <laughs> he did hand out, and the one that really uh, people remember was the fact that he, and it was rare because, as I said, it's usually like a private ceremony or something, and there'd be pictures about it. But when Trump gave it to Rush Limbaugh, that was done at a State of the Union address. And so that was a big deal, of uh, the fact that he would do it publicly at a State of the Union. Uh, but he only handed out 24. Uh, Biden already has done 17, and all of those were in 2022. He hasn't handed out any this year, and he didn't hand out any in this first year. I guess uh, we're going to be seeing these in even years or something. <laughs> or maybe he's just tired. I don't know. But anyway, the commendations for Operation Warp Speed team, the very first person on the list, at the top of the list, was General Mark Milley. Oh, well, that's right, because it was a military operation, wasn't it? It really was. Number two was Alex Azar, who is the um, CEO of Eli Lilly, the big pharmaceutical company. They brought him in. He ran the medical side of this military operation. Interesting that number three on the list was Jared Kushner. Jared Kushner, number three on Operation Warp Speed, commendations. Then you had Monsef Slaoui, another general, Gustav Perna. You had not just Fauci, but also Burks, Deborah Burks, and on and on. All these co-conspirators, there they are right there. That's uh, Operation Warp Speed co-conspirators named by Trump, celebrated by Trump, because Operation Warp Speed was just so wonderful. All the masking and lockdowns and training people with stimulus checks, training them for universal basic income. 
taking our jobs and our, our uh, businesses and all that stuff. That was just wonderful. And so speaking of awards, we've got some Emmy nominations coming as well. Disney's Hulu uh, got uh, three nominations for Emmys. This is a TV award. Well, I tell you, I'm so out of the entertainment world now. You know, even the Emmy stuff. How long has it been since anybody's paid any attention to any of this stuff? But uh, Breitbart picked up the story. The 1619 Project has gotten three nominations. And he focuses on this uh, article on Breitbart. He focuses on how this documentary from Disney has pushed reparations and pushed $16 trillion worth of reparations. We have a national debt that has gotten up to $31 trillion. Everybody's looking at this and saying this has uh, grown astronomically at a very rapid rate. It's unsustainable. And they want more than half of the entire cumulative debt from the uh, creation of the United States to be given to black people, some kind of a handout or benefit, to be awarded on the basis of skin color alone. Uh, Disney's Hulu, the 1619 Project, was a streaming adaptation of the New York Times series. I guess we could call it a streaming pile of <laughs> excrement, not steaming. But anyway, uh, it was hosted by the fiction writer, Nicole Hannah-Jones, who came up with this nonsense for the New York Times. And central to the conceit that uh, of this uh, reparations claim was the uh, her idea that the American Revolution was simply fought to preserve slavery. Wow. How ignorant do you have to be to believe that? Now, I've talked many times about William Wilberforce and his uh, efforts to end slavery. The British Empire was key part of that. You know, they had that slave trade. Uh, they'd pick up the slaves from the uh, Arabs who had captured them or other uh, rival tribes in Africa. And, you know, they had this whole circuit where they would take them and, you know, eventually to the Caribbean, uh, to the Southern U S States. And then they would pick up cotton and sugar and things like that and take it back. Uh, so every leg of this, uh, very lucrative trade, uh, had some aspect of it. And so William Wilberforce took on the biggest economic, uh, interest at the time. And it took him a very long time. As a matter of fact, uh, the first meeting of the Society for Abolishing the Slave Trade, just the slave trade, was 1787. Uh, does Hannah uh, Jones really know, Nicole Hannah Jones, does she really know when the American Revolution occurred? Does she have any idea of the dates of that? You know, so I always complain about the fact <clears throat> that there was an overemphasis on dates and not enough emphasis on uh, what the motivations were, what the people of the time were saying about things. You know, we just have, we superimpose our view of history and it was reduced to a series of dates. But you know, the dates are very important in history. Got to have that timeline. She doesn't have a timeline. So the first meeting to even talk about abolishing the slave trade was in 1787. Uh, Wilberforce had started uh, with this and he uh, joined up with that group uh, not was not there on their first meeting, but he was the driving force behind this. And it was not until 1807 
that they were able to end the slave trade. And then it wasn't until 1834 that slavery ended in the Caribbean. And when they ended slavery, uh, they paid the plantation owners for the slaves, and they paid less money to emancipate these slaves than Lincoln spent on ammunition in his Civil War because it was fundamentally not about slavery. It was about stopping the independence. It was about shutting down the Second War of Independence. Uh, but anyway, um, so 1807, they stopped the trade. 1834, they ended slavery in the Caribbean. Uh, that means that the Revolutionary War was not fought to preserve slavery because the British Empire kept it going for quite some time. They were not trying to stop it at that point in time. Again, uh, he, it looked like an impossible task when they started getting busy on it in the early 1800s. Uh, and so this $16 trillion figure that they have here, and um, uh, the alarming figure comes in the sixth and final episode of the series during a conversation between Nicole Hannah-Jones and William Darity, a Duke University professor and a proponent of social equity. Again, equality of outcomes, not equality of opportunity. Don't be fooled by the terms that they use. They're not talking about equality. They're talking about equity, equal results. Those will be enforced at the expense of opportunity and liberty. Darity estimates that each individual should receive about $350,000 in reparations. Since there are 40 million black American descendants of slavery out of a total of 45 million black people in the U.S., the total bill would be approximately $14 trillion. Uh, but, um, actually the headline said 16 trillion. He says it's a big debt, but you know, I've seen estimates of the bill that have run as high as 6.2 quadrillion dollars. Well, that would be, to put that in perspective, that'd be 6,200 trillion. Um, so yeah, I think it's helpful. 14 trillion might be letting, you know, America off a little bit easy. He said, I mean, pretty much any number you put on it would be letting America off easy. We can never satisfy their demands. You can never appease tyrants. You can never appease thieves. The original New York Times series won a Pulitzer Prize despite multiple noted academics debunking one of its central claims. You don't have to be an academic to understand dates. Uh, the central claim that the Revolutionary War was fought to preserve slavery. Uh, the newspaper eventually corrected references to that claim. As a matter of fact, uh, the New York Times agreed that that was wrong, but that hasn't stopped Disney from pushing this. And then, of course, you have the feminist Indiana Jones sequel. It's bombed pretty hard. Uh, media pretends that they don't know why. This article from Zero Hedge. Uh, they can't understand why Indiana Jones and the Temple of Mary Sue just did not go over. Four billion dollars, a little over it, to acquire Lucasfilms in 2012. And what have they done to that investment? Driven it into the ground. Disney thought that in buying Lucasfilms, they were actually buying the fandom that comes with it, but you can't buy the fans and force them to consume your poorly written stuff. The same stunted manner of thinking was also revealed in Amazon's conquest of the Lord of the Rings. 
Disney's next mistake was putting a rabid feminist like Kathleen Kennedy at the helm of some of the biggest franchises in Hollywood history. Kennedy is perhaps best known as Spielberg's coffee girl, as a secretary. That, as he himself noted, was not very good at the job. As a matter of fact, uh, the clip, I don't have it, but um, you've probably seen the clip where he snubbed her. Had all these people lined up, and she was there because she was, you know, uh, I don't know, producer, I guess, now of the series. But Steven Spielberg was there talking about Indiana Jones as they were about to you know, release this thing. And so we could have made this, uh, it's, it's not be possible without three people. It goes, of course, George Lucas and um, Indiana Jones himself, Harrison Ford, and she's standing right next to him, right next to Steven Spielberg, his former secretary who was not very good at the job. And she's clapping and smiling and looking at everybody. And then he goes, and the third person who was not on the stage, but they pulled the curtain back and it was John Williams there with the orchestra. <laughs> and at that point, everybody on stage is clapping, but her, and she puts her hands down and she's not smiling. She's looking around the, <laughs> it's a wonderful clip. And, uh, <laughs> she thought it was going to be her. Uh, Disney's Indiana Jones, the dial of destiny was clearly a forced scheme to bring a favored male hero and, uh, replace him with a narcissistic female protagonist that spouts woke rhetoric. It has generated a dismal box office of about 250 million and Disney needs a projected 900 million just to break even. Uh, because, uh, you've got to include the marketing costs in it. The best way to destroy a successful formula is by complicating it with personal politics as well as putting a feminist in charge of a man's fantasy tale. And that's what they've done over and over again. That's what she has done, particularly. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about a little bit of financial news. Uh, Tony's going to be joining us at the bottom of the hour, but you know we have to take a look at how this purging of people, not just from social media, but then, of course, purging you out of the financial system, how this is really taking hold and spreading. Uh, we will be right back. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So unlike most revolutions where the people rise against a real economic oppression, in our case here in Boston, we are fighting for purely an abstract principle. Here, here. Here, here. It is, however, not nearly so abstract as the young gentleman supposes. The issue involved here is one of monopoly. Today, the British government will monopolize the sale of tea in our country. Tomorrow, it will be something else. 
The David Knight Show. Well, before I get into uh, any more news, and we're talking about what is happening in the UK in terms of bank accounts being shut down over political views, and how this is something that is spreading internationally, uh, before I get into that, I want to uh, thank those of you who have stood with us, uh, especially over this last month or so, and um, uh, tell you that where the gas gauge is right now, we're at about three-eighths. I think it's not been updated on the website, uh, perhaps, but we're at about three-eighths right now. And I just wanted to thank uh, several people who have sent mail. Uh, Anna Maria A., Lloyd P., Aaron F., Mary N., Ben and Cindy B., Gary K., Ronald C., Jim H., Daniel H., Lois L., Mary Ellen M., Jeremy W., George R., Tom C., Jim M., RTM, and Rob C., Nancy O., Sandra D., and Timur R., Michael T., Column T., uh, Jack D., and HD from NC. So thank you, all of you. And um, those uh, several of those were from mailed in June, but we uh, just got them uh, this last uh, weekend and over the week. And, um, and then I have a letter here from uh, Trevor C. Thank you very much, Trevor. Thank you for the, the cool coins. And he wrote um, a very interesting letter. Um, he said, um, uh, I'm 40 years old. And he said, we have three children, two boys and a girl. We have a biological child born in 2014, son from China, 2017, a daughter from India in 2020. We wanted to stagger the ages of the kids by at least two years. Uh, but he said foreign birth certificates being what they are. And with uh, the other two children having dwarfism, our kids all ended up being born the same year. Uh, and, and I mentioned that because that's essentially what happened with Karen and I. We were... <laughs> Uh, we'd been married for 13 years and had been trying to have kids. And uh, we found out about an open adoption for Travis. And then when we brought Travis home, uh, Karen was getting very sick trying to change his diapers. And we found out she was a month pregnant when we adopted Travis. And the two of them, as he points out, uh, their kids are the best of friends and, uh, and almost like triplets. And that was certainly the case with our kids. Um, Travis looked like he was two years older because he was much larger as a child and everything. But, um, you know, we knew that they were just best buddies. And, um, and he talks about what he's gone through with uh, the Air Force and the, uh, the pushing and the coercion about the vaccine. He says, I'm so depressed in my service. He says, I feel I have to stay in. For what? For the hope of a pension when the government has trillions of dollars in debt. I expect them to honor their commitments to veterans. My contract is not up until 2025. I can't get out, but I feel I have to stay in for my family's benefits. Uh, and I'll just say this too, you know, as, um, as a Christian, because he talks about, uh, you know, religious exemptions and things like that. There are a couple of different services out there. There's actually a, a service out there, even if you're not a Christian, that is like a medical sharing service. And we always found that to be the best thing for our family. And um, um, so you might want to take a look at that. Uh, it's uh, Samaritan Ministries and uh, Medi Medicare, MediShare, something like that. Can't, the other one that is for non-Christians is Liberty, something like that. But it's been a real blessing. You've, you wind up in the ones that we have been involved with. They send you... Each month, um, you know, you've got uh, 
an X, X amount of money that you've got to send in as kind of your uh, contribution. And they give you the name of somebody and what is the problem. So there's kind of a personal touch with that. I like the fact that you send that check directly to the person. And uh, they tell you what the problem is so you can pray for them. And um, then, you know, you just pay them. It's 100 and something. Uh, Karen writes the check, so I don't know the exact amount now. But you pay them an annual fee. And that's uh, what they make to run their information sharing service and let people share that with others. And what we have found as an extra benefit, unintended, was that when we would go in and tell people, well, this is not insurance, you know, we're treated as a cash patient, uh, they'll work with you on that. And the other thing that they'll do is say, well, you know, normally if you had insurance, we'd run all these other tests, but they're not really necessary. Oh, well, good, because I don't really want a lot of unnecessary tests. <laughs> I mean, it's a, uh, each of these things, uh, many of these things have risks in and of themselves. Uh, so, um, Anyway, thank you very much. It was, um, I'm sorry that that uh, stuff has happened to you. I'm sorry it's happened to so many people. Um, and let me just throw in here as well. We had um, uh, some people who were listeners and supporters, and uh, I thought it might be a nice idea. They didn't say to do this, but they just said, if you know anybody that uh, is looking for the stuff, they offered to give us uh, a great Pyrenees puppy. And we thought, oh, that, that's great. Love those dogs. Uh, Derek McBreen has had, uh, a string of them. Uh, that's the breed. And when something happens and one gets old and dies, he gets another great Pyrenees. They're great dogs, have a great personality. Uh, but especially good if you've got uh, a farm where you've got animals are great as uh, palm uh, dogs, but they will defend, um, you know, large size and they'll defend the animals. But we didn't have anything like that. Instead, you know, we've, we've now got uh, with Travis here and his wife and her dogs and the dog that uh, took up with us just before we left Houston. We now got four dogs. And so I explained, I said, you know, Scout has always been the one dog and he's very devoted to us. He's not jealous in the sense that he um, tries to harm the other dogs. He's, he's very gentle about that. But he will always, if we, <laughs> if we go to the little dog that, that took up with us, if we pet him, Scout will come running or if we say anything to him, he'll come running and he'll get between us. You know, he, oh, what about me? What about me? So he's, he's very, um, he's very concerned about his status and things. And I know another puppy would make that very difficult and it would be difficult for us anyway, because it'd be an inside dog, uh, where we are, we're basically, uh, on a vertical <laughs> incline. There's not much place for the dogs to be. And unless we were to raise goats, we wouldn't have any livestock that would be, <laughs> able to negotiate this out here. But uh, here's a picture of, of what the uh, dog looks like at seven months. Uh, if anybody is interested, contact me and I'll, I'll pass the information on to him. But also mention it because I would like to, uh, uh, he requested prayer and uh, we pray for his son and request that you do as well. He's got a son, uh, Daniel Jeremiah, who has seizures from a vaccine injury. So if we could remember to pray for Daniel Jeremiah. That would be great. Uh, uh, before we move on, I just yeah. wanted to thank Mike F. He sent me a very kind letter and a booklet about how his family or what they use to deal with the RA that's been with, uh, part of their family for a while. So I just wanted to say thank you. It was very kind, and I will look into that. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you very much. And uh, that's uh, rheumatoid arthritis. 
And along that line, I want to thank uh, Faye as well. She's been very helpful in terms of helping us to try to get some help for Travis and uh, trying something different. Um, and uh, the rheumatoid arthritis has really been uh, a, a real big problem for him. So we'd appreciate your prayers for that as well. Because we know that whatever we do to treat, it is ultimately God who heals. He can use ordinary means or he can do whatever he wants. And uh, so we'd appreciate your prayers in that. Um, by the way, I see we've got a couple of donations and comments on Rock on Rockfin. Uh, <clears throat> on Rockfin, Max B. <clears throat> excuse me. He said, uh, "Thank you very much for the tip." He says, "Good morning, Mr. Knight. Just wanted to thank you and Travis for all you do. Well, thank you, uh, and we appreciate you. Thank you." Um, on Rockfin, also Angus Mustang. Thank you for the tip, and he thanks us uh, for our work. Well, we couldn't do that without your support. So thank you very much. So in the UK, and I mentioned this about Nigel Farage, I said, look at this. He, he's you know, been given the, shown the door by his current bank. He's taken this around. And uh, on Monday, he gave an update. He said, I've been to nine different banks and I can't get them to do business with me. This is getting very serious. And as one person pointed out, well, you know, he wasn't really much help during the lockdown and things like that. But this is not even about whether or not we agree with anybody politically. And the amazing thing to me is how these authoritarian leftists think that they will all be, always be the ones in power. You know, these things swing in different directions. And uh, if you're going to support punishing people, kicking them out of society, uh, kicking them out of the financial system, uh, that's eventually going to come around to you. It did in the French Revolution. You know, these people who are cutting people's heads off, eventually Robespierre and these other people, uh, they went to the guillotine as well. So there is um, a former minister, uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg, who is pushing anti-discrimination law as the UK banks are accused of shutting accounts over personal views. They don't like your politics. They don't like your comments. So they just kick you out of the financial system. And of course, you know, this was done to us uh, in um, May uh, after we started the program at the very end of December 2020, May of 2021. All of a sudden, PayPal and Venmo, both owned by the same company, just banned me. And I, I can't even use them for personal stuff. I mean, I can't uh, use a PayPal account to pay people. They won't allow me that. I contacted them, spent a lot of time. Uh, with a guy on the phone, I was with him for well over an hour. I don't remember the exact time, but it was a very long time because he put me on hold. He's investigating, he's calling people. He goes, I can't find anything other than, uh, just shut this down immediately. No reason was given. I said, well, I think I know the reason. And then we saw similar thing being done to the guy who has a daily skeptic about a year ago that went public and you had the government come back and, um, tell PayPal to knock it off. <laughs> and, uh, but then they came back, you know, and said, we're going to kick people off. We're going to find you. What was it? $2,500 or something like that. I think, um, you know, we're going to confiscate money, you know, from you as well as kicking you off. Well, Mr. Reesmog, a conservative MP and uh, now working on, uh, as a news presenter, uh, told the telegraph that while banks have the right to block accounts, they're doing this in far too many cases. Well, see, this is the problem. You know, this is the same. You can't say they got a right to do this. They don't have a right to do this. 
Banks don't have rights, period. Um, you know, states don't have rights. States have powers. And when we talk about states' rights in the terms of the uh, you know, Civil War and things like that, they didn't have rights. They had powers that were reserved and not given to the federal government. And so do we, the people, have powers that are reserved. But people also have rights that come from God because we're human beings. And so you shouldn't say that these, uh, these banks, any of these corporations have the right to censor us. They are a government-created entity. They're operating as a privilege license. You know, you have to pay a privilege license as a business. That's one of the things that used to bother me when I first got into business. I said, I got to pay a, a license. I got to get a license to have a business. I got to pay a privilege license. Oh, I get it. So welfare is a right, but having a business is a privilege. Okay. Yeah. I understand where you guys are coming from. Anyway, points out, he says with the fact that, um, cash is declining the use of it and people who will accept it. And that is the plan to push us into a cashless society. An individual without a bank account is effectively a non-citizen or a non-person. He said, it is Ryan here. And I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. To, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. According to the report, he will propose an amendment to the Digital Markets Bill that aims to stop banks from discriminating against clients. The amendment would also compel banks to inform customers why their accounts would be closed within 30 days of their decision and give customers the right to demand compensation. And so again, you know, Nigel Farage says, um, uh, you know, it's now nine banks that have rejected doing business with me. And there is concern because, um, why this appears to be happening is kind of a quasi rule, if you want to call it that, not really a law, but the PEP concerns, a politically exposed persons. These are rules, international standards that were set by the Financial Action Task Force. You see how this is being done? Uh, not rules created at the national level. No, we have these supranational organizations that you don't elect and are unaccountable to you and are unaccountable to the various countries as well. And they can come up with whatever rules they want. This is increasingly becoming the pattern in one area after the other. And so this whole idea of a politically exposed person is, um, again, it's, it was created by this Financial Action Task Force, then adopted by the European Union. And um, they uh, put in this in as part of their anti-money laundering rules. 
This will always be the basis for these types of controls. One of the reasons that they're trying to shut down crypto, and they admit crypto is their competition. They admit that if crypto is around, people are going to use it rather than their digital central bank currency. Uh, but they will come after crypto on the basis of money laundering, or they'll come after it on the basis of climate change or something like that. They won't just say, well, we got to shut it down because they'll admit it, say it all the time. Well, it's going to be the, uh, it is our competition, but they'll come up with some phony justifications for it, like money laundering or environmental concerns. So the anti-money laundering rules require financial institutions to carry out extra checks, background checks on people who are politically exposed persons, PEPs. <laughs> Politicians in all parties have complained about running into difficulty with the bank, so why don't they do something about it? Well, because they're impotent. Because they have essentially abdicated their power to these uh, supranational organizations. Whether it's the EU or whether it's some of these non-governmental task force or committees. While guidance published in 2017 clarified that UK, UK PEPs, persons who are uh, politically exposed persons, uh, should be treated as low risk unless they pose a higher risk for other reasons. In other words, just the fact that they're a politician should not make them a politically exposed person. Hmm, really? Maybe that was really the purpose. Uh, so... A city minister wrote to the Financial Conduct Authority urging them to prioritize a review on the PEP rules so that they do not, quote, unduly burden or prevent democratically elected individuals, public officials, or their families from access to essential banking services. And so they said um, this is not just happening for these higher-profile individuals. You had Metro Bank emailed Gender Critical Parent Group called Our Duty and the bank said that they cannot offer an account because it, quote, doesn't currently allow organizations to receive donations, if not a registered charity, and for community groups to be linked to or for them to influence political policies or legislation. Legislation. Uh, so the founder of the group, Our Duty, said the bank manager, however, had told him in a phone call that they couldn't get an account because what they believe in, uh, which is um, biological genders and parenting that conflicts with the culture of the bank. You have an Anglican church leader who lost his bank account after he replied to a monthly email that asked for feedback. He said, well, okay. Um, I don't like the fact that you've displayed support for pride month on your website. And I don't agree with you pushing transgender ideology on children. Boom. They kick him off of they should close his account. Will he be able to get anything uh, at another one if he gets on the list? You know, we start out with these no-fly lists, and then these, these authoritarian leftists said, oh, that worked out so well. Or we could put people on there for no reason at all. We have a secret star chamber process. They don't know they're even accused until they try to fly, and then they can't fly. Uh, so we don't have to tell them what they're charged with even after they find out they're on the list and find out they can't fly. They can't get an answer as to why they were put on the list. They can't, uh, and this is a typical star chamber process. This is why the founders of this country, they, they didn't say, well, you know, it might be a problem someday. No, they knew it was a problem. They'd already experienced this in the star chamber. 
They know that you don't want to have a secret court where you're not allowed to see the charges against you and not allowed to confront the witnesses against you and, and to defend yourself and to have the presumption of innocence. Uh, but what we learned the hard way over millennia in Western civilization is now being rapidly swept aside and people are too ignorant to understand why we wanted to have those guard um, those guardrails, those guidelines. And so it worked so well to have a no-fly list. They said, let's do a no-buy list. Let's make a list of people who aren't going to be able to uh, get a gun. And then uh, the Obama administration started working with banks talking about Operation Choke Point. Let's get rid of the, uh, you know, let, let's put on a list gun manufacturers and gun retailers, and we'll choke them out of the financial system. Now, they extended it to people who disagree with them on any of their MacGuffins, whether it's the COVID MacGuffin or the climate MacGuffin, or if we disagree with them on their engineered wars, just to kick us out. Trigonometry, a British YouTube show and a podcast featuring interviews and satirical content about current affairs and social issues, also recently lost their bank account. Uh, so this is uh, spreading there. And what is happening in the UK is not going to stay in the UK. It's going to spread New York, California, other places. We look at societal breakdown. Why is it breaking down? Well, you know, and, and if you don't think it's breaking down, look at all of the random attacks that are happening. It was just this weekend. We had a guy on a motorcycle in broad daylight, not even bothering to wear a helmet to even try to disguised his identity, just started riding around with a pistol, shooting people on the sidewalk. Then we've got, um, also in New York City, a guy who, um, in broad daylight, they're walking down the sidewalk. He pulls out a bat and he hits another man who's 37 years old, hits him uh, in the head, hits him multiple times in broad daylight, then runs away. 37-year-old victim was just walking on the street. The attacker approached him, pulled out a bat, repeatedly struck him in the head. He's um, in the hospital in serious condition, stable condition. And then it's not just New York City. This is in uh, Alabama, rural Alabama. An eight-year-old was arrested in Alabama after allegedly stealing a car at gunpoint around 11 a.m. Again, broad daylight, almost noon. And then refusing to pull over as he's driving the car. You know, this is eight-year-old using a gun to hijack a car. They chased him for a while and until he crashed into another vehicle. Witnesses said, I think parents just really need to know where their kids are and what their kids are doing and just talk to them about these kinds of things. Well, that's the problem, you see. The problem is not that we need to have baseball bat control or gun control or that we've got to have car control because we've had, you know, the Waukesha Christmas parade guy. He used a SUV to kill people, running them down in a Christmas parade. Yeah, the problem is us and what is turning into this society. And I'm telling you the root problem of this. And one of the reasons why it's, it's important, just from a practical standpoint, but, you know, it's important to push back when you've got people like this arch grifter of the so-called Church of England who said, yeah, well, you know, the Our Father prayer, that's real troublesome because of the word Father we need to get rid of the word father. We need to focus on our. We got to, you know, connect with each other horizontally. Now, unless you are not down with the LGBT agenda, in which case we don't want to connect with you at all. We want to kick you out of society. In February, the C of E, which is what we'll call them, they're not a church, 
said it would consider whether to stop referring to God as he after priests asked to be allowed to use the gender-neutral terms instead. They want to kick God out. They want to kick God's word out. You know, the interesting thing is that the term church came from a Greek term, which means called out. These people are not called out. They're not coming out of society. Uh, they are firmly entrenched in this secular humanism, this LGBT religion. Anyway, he said, in effect, there's so many bad fathers out there that uh, Jesus brought harm into the world through his teaching. Because, you know, we should reject the patriarchy. Uh, but um, in this article from uh, Jerry Newcomb, he says, is it true that fathers have been overall, quote, destructive and abusive, unquote, like he says? And that humanity must be freed from, quote, an oppressively patriarchal grip, as this arch grifter of the C of E says. He said, you know, about 40 years ago in Chicago, um, he says, I was, I was visiting a liberal church, and a lay minister offered a prayer, said, our father, our mother. I asked him about this after the service, and he explained it was because a church was so close to Cabrini Green, uh, the big housing project where there was so much crime in Chicago. He said it was so bad, many of the restaurants didn't, many of the many of the residents didn't know what a good father was like. So we just get rid of that. And he said what was strange about that was that that was really the source of the problems, and they didn't understand it. If you look at why a lot of young men are joining gangs, it's because the gang leaders provide the kind of leadership that they crave, but they couldn't get from their father. The vast majority of prisoners come from broken homes. 85% of youth in prison come from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless runaway children come from fatherless homes. 60% of youth who commit suicide come from fatherless homes. He says, we don't need fewer fathers, we need more fathers. Gary Bauer says, if you were to make a list of the top problems we're facing in America today, one of them would have to be the epidemic of children being raised without a father in the home, which is what I was talking about with my guest, um, uh, uh, Cashel, who wrote the book Untenable. The failure of the great society, destroying homes, making people dependent on the government, and making men unnecessary in many ways. And so, you know, we've gone from father knows best, as he points out, to Archie Bunker's uh, dad is bigoted, to father is a complete idiot, like Homer Simpson. Do you notice how, in his reference here, he's putting this all, this is how society is def defining fathers, and it's true. Uh, we define our roles and get our cues from entertainment, don't we? So what's the solution to this? Should we stop looking to actors and entertainers for this stuff? Maybe we look to the Bible. I don't know. How about that? What? How about an idea about that? Uh, no, they don't ever want to return to that. He said the answer is to recover our faith, particularly for men, uh, and we'll recover fatherhood if we recover our faith. Now, he's right about that. And, you know, throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament, talks about a sign of restoration of society when God turns the heart of the fathers to their children. Well, you have to have your heart turned toward God first, right, before you're going to have it turned toward your children. 
How do we fight child trafficking? How do we do that? Well, we've got to fight this culture of sexual addiction and deviancy that we've cultivated here, especially through entertainment. You know, how do you do that? Well, it begins with you. It begins with you, and uh, then it's going to extend out from you to the rest of your family. we got Tony Arterman is ready to join us, and we've got a lot of things to talk about in terms of money. We've only scratched the surface with this uh, deprogramming of peps, <laughs> or peeps, uh, P-E-P-S, personally exposed persons. You may re- not realize it, but we are all uh, going to be one way or the other personally uh, we're going to be politically exposed because everything is uh, politicized in today's society and it's going to be increasingly that way. We'll be right back. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, welcome back. And joining us now is Tony Arben, a longtime great friend uh, and supporter of the show. And he set up David Knight Gold uh, to help you to bring your gold home. That's, I guess, going to be kind of the, uh, the, the theme of our show. We've got central banks that are repatriating gold and bringing it home. Uh, Tony will let you do this on an individual basis. Uh, thanks for joining us, Tony. Always great to be here, David. Good to see you. You know, there, there was a great story. I don't know if you saw this or not. A guy in Kentucky, he found a gigantic stash of Civil War era coins, gold and other things like that. And uh, so, you know, he, the gold was um, right there in the cornfield on his farm, uh, had been missed for, you know, 160 years or whatever. And um, 161, I guess, because there weren't any coins that were older than 1862. Just one, uh, one of the uh, types of coins that he had uh, they've recently sold at auction for $100,000. He has 18 of those. <laughs> so that's $1.8 million right there. And he's got a lot of other stuff. They got a picture in this article of this massive stash of coins. And a lot of these things are in mint condition, and they're coming from very rare mints. And so um, he's already had this certified by the Numismatic Guarantee Company, and uh, they've called it the Great Kentucky Hoard, and uh, they've got all kinds of uh, a list of all kinds of coins that they found in this thing. But that's that's uh, uh, one way of uh, bringing the gold home, isn't it? 
<laughs> well, it is. And uh, step one, don't call the FBI when you find gold. I've heard people do that. I don't know why. Yeah. But there was that uh, uh, that one gentleman uh, years ago that had treasure hunters, and they found they thought they thought they found the gold. Yeah, that's up in Pennsylvania. The, the wasn't FBI it? came in and took it. Yeah, that's up in Pennsylvania, wasn't it? And right. They, the FBI right. came up there and and they said, you know, we, look, we got this, and they tried to do it above board, and then the crooked FBI comes in and they sealed off the area, and they said we could hear them working at night for a very long time, and then after they get finished, they said, no, there's nothing there, because <laughs> they took. Well, it. there's a lesson in that yeah. too, you know, about the gold, and and I've I've even bought uh, gold coins from the Roman era, and the the reason that they're still valuable is because they are gold. Yeah. And I think that's missed on a lot, just because they're old. Like I've seen coins from the Roman era that are not gold. That are just the debased, you know, uh, uh, copper coins, and they're not worth that much unless they're in great condition. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing with currency throughout history. It keeps its value with with being precious metals, silver or gold. Yeah, this would be worth a lot of money just on on the metal basis of it. But again, th- this is a yeah. has a numismatic uh, aspect of it. They said uh, they got an 1860 uh, one mint condition, 1863 double eagle. They said would be an important event but finding a roll of these things and they weren't 1863s they were 1862s uh and just a massive over 700 gold dollars uh that they found wow <laughs> so that's pretty amazing uh yeah, yeah just the there, metal there are gold dollars i think I've, I've brought them up on your show before just showing how they're little bitty little things you know but uh they're worth about 200 dollars, which just yeah. shows you the the total debasement of the of the dollar itself oh yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> At least uh, that much that is has dropped, but but of course it's not just this guy bringing it home uh, or finding it on his home. As you uh, you know, when I were saying at the break, we've got a lot of uh, gold that's being repatriated by central banks who don't want to leave this uh, abroad. This is something that's been happening for several years, but it's really escalating now, isn't it? Yeah, there's a headline up on Kitco, and because of the sanctions on Russia, again leading back to that, they had, the U.S. froze 640 a billion dollars in assets that were gold and forex investments of Russia's, and that really scared a lot of the other central banks around the world. Uh, they're repatriating their gold from foreign vaults. That's mm-hmm. that's a trend that is accelerating and surprising a lot of people in the precious metal sector right now. Yeah, they they they're doing it because um, this article I've got here from. Uh, um, Zero hedge, 85% of the 85 sovereign wealth funds and 57 central banks said they think inflation is going to be higher. Uh, And uh, yet it is really what's driving it is what you pointed out, the fact that uh, we had this freezing of Russia stuff. And then from a personal standpoint, what we saw with uh, Trudeau freezing the accounts of people who are protesters and what I just talked about, where you've got uh, people like Nigel Farage or parental rights groups that are getting kicked out uh, or Christian uh, priests who's getting kicked out of their banking accounts because of their political religious beliefs. Yeah. Uh, you're giving me a pep talk now about a, being a pep <laughs> politically <laughs> exposed person. Uh, that's uh, the part of the new AML rules. Uh, you know, that's coming and that's why precious metals uh, and decentralized tokens are so important right now with the, the rush towards central bank, digital currencies. And uh, again, just crushing Liberty with the, overreach of these totalitarian governments uh, on currency, it's more important than ever to understand what gold, what silver is, out being outside of the system. There's a reason why uh, these uh, banks are repatriating. They don't like uh, the, their exposure. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a story, uh, what about a year ago, David, that the, the Vatican 
started pulling all their assets back to the Vatican. Like they started uh, closing down foreign assets and their holdings. So I think, um, I think again, you start looking at these sort of signposts on what uh, these uh, foreign entities are doing, and you'll see the, the volatility built into that. I mean, that's I think that's what we're witnessing right now is a major sea change geopolitically when it comes to uh, the dollar, when it comes to finance. Yeah, as you pointed out, they, they froze about half of Russia's uh, gold and, and um, assets like that with this uh, uh, NATO movement. <clears throat> but going back to 2019, and I remember when this happened, Poland said, well, we're going to bring home 100 tons of gold. We don't want it abroad. Then Hungary, then Romania did it. Then the summer of 2017, um, actually preceding that, you'd had Germany start to do that. Uh, and the, prior to that, in 2015, you had Australia bringing in half of its reserves. Netherlands, Belgium have also done that, but it has really, really escalated. And, uh, you know, people are concerned, even the central banks are concerned about the London gold exchange and just leaving it outside of their country. They want to have it in their possession because, as you and I have always said, uh, you know, gold is real money, but it's also, if it's not in your uh, possession, you don't really own it. <laughs> if you can't get right. that. And, and they're seeing this over and over again. And um, uh, then you take a look at what is happening with the Shanghai Gold Exchange and these derivatives, the ETF derivatives. Uh, people are, you know, that's, that's, you've talked about that many times, how that allows them to manip manipulate the price of gold. But it's also um, a very, uh, it's, it's not even a good investment from a standpoint of following the price of gold. Uh, because it doesn't uh, really track the price of gold, which I thought was kind of interesting. When I started seeing gold, I used to have money in uh, paper gold for my uh, IRA and um, uh, paper gold and silver. And I noticed this is really disconnected from the price of gold and silver. What's up with that? <laughs> you know, so I started looking at it. I was like, no, I don't want that. Oh, it's totally disconnected. Yeah. There's something called counterparty risk. You know, you got counterparty risk when you're uh, investing with, uh, and you're looking at to to allow someone else to hold your money uh, and back it up with their assets, supposedly that you can't see. So I don't like that. I like to, I like to when I invest, I want to be able to hold it in my hand. I want to be able to possess it, whether that's uh, gold and silver or real estate or even even things like Bitcoin. I want to hold the keys. If mm -hmm. I can't hold it, I don't invest in something that you can print. Yeah, let's put it that. Way. Yeah, that's right. Now, speaking of Bitcoin, I, I thought it was funny that uh, Britain is going to call their CBDC Britcoin. I had to do a double take <laughs> when I saw that because I, I thought it was a kind of an odd. <laughs> I guess they figured it's so close that, you know, people really won't notice. Uh, I think people will kind of uh, scope in on that. It's better than Fedcoin. Uh, that doesn't really inspire anybody at all, but at, at least it's a better name, but same evil. Same. I, can't, I didn't know that, Dave. That's, that's news to me. But it, it's really about branding, and maybe I, I can't see how anybody would confuse the two. Yeah. You know, you got you got some central bank controlling digital currency as opposed to some de decentralized, uh, finite resource like Bitcoin. That's um, that's crazy. The people in Nigeria certainly didn't. Yeah, it was a Prime Minister uh, Rishi Rich. <laughs> that's a spoiled little rich kid who's now the prime minister. He's the one who coined that term, Britcoin, as a nickname. That's not going to be the official uh, term, but uh, you know, that's that's the way they're going to sell it to people. They're, they're CBDC. <laughs> well, they're very clever with their their nomenclature, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. But you know, when you look at what is happening, they they made it very clear uh, at Davos in January, CBDC is going to be uh, the future of money. 
but then they talk about how they're not quite ready for it just yet. But at the same time, we see a, a, a competition that is developing. Uh, there was an interesting article uh, Brian Shalhavi had at uh, healthimpact.com where he's talking about how we see the global, uh, the geopolitical divisions between NATO and uh, the U.S. and Europe and the Five Eyes. They're on one side with their current system, uh, you know, the IMF and, and uh, the uh, Bank of International Settlements. They're on one side. And you got this rapid escalation of people who are rushing in to the BRICS, which was Britain, uh, which was um, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. It was only about five countries for quite a while, and they were, you know, doing their own thing. Uh, but then it rapidly jumped to 19, and then within the last two months, it's gone from 19 to 40 something. It's more than doubled again, and they're still uh, not going to. It's still about a month or so away before they have their. Uh, next meeting, and all these people are clamoring to get into this to get away from our system of slavery, financial slavery. Yeah, two major points coming out of that. One, uh, they're meeting in August uh, to talk about uh, linking a, a currency to gold, which is monumental. Mm -hmm. But the other thing, and it's not covered as much, is that uh, President uh, Macron out of France uh, asked the uh, <laughs> Prime Minister of South Africa if he could also join uh, or at least attend the meeting. Which is huge, and you go back a few months ago, uh, Macron also uh, visited China uh, to make sure that uh, France wasn't associated with the United States' uh, stance on Taiwan. There's a major geopolitical shift going on right now, and you talked about the five eyes. It, it, it's again, the BRICS isn't going to save us. Right. You know, don't don't start cheering for that because oh, the, yeah. the yeah. evil U.S. hegemonic dollar dominance. I I, I don't want that. But I don't also I know what what's going to come out of this deal with the BRICS and China and the surveillance state as well. It's just uh, a different side of the coin. Mm -hmm. um, but that's a huge story uh, that you see uh, Macron wanting to uh, to attend the BRICS summit. Yeah. Um, and I think that's going to be more and more countries. I mean, you look at the, the headlines. I, I just did. All I did is I typed in on Bing. I typed in uh, BRICS August, just BRICS August. And the headlines are. Can the BRICS countries break the U.S. dollar? The new <laughs> world reserve currency will kill the U.S. dollar. This is uh, these are the headlines off off of Bing and, and uh, things like Reuters. BRICS currency: the opportunities and the pitfalls. BRICS explores creating new reserve currency. I mean, they just again these are just all over just by typing in BRICS in August for the meeting. It's massive. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there was uh, Zimbabwe is another headline in here. They asked they're going to be asking to join BRICS. So this is something that's accelerating rapidly, David. I can't stress this enough. I mean, we normally we've had to wait a long time for these massive political changes, but I look, you know, to an example of like what happened to the Soviet Union at the beginning of the 1990s, you know, this just all of a sudden it was gone. You know, Gorbachev comes on television on Christmas Day and it disappears and breaks into 16 pieces. These are things that happen in our in our lifetime. And as, as the technological age, it's just rapidly advancing. Since the uh, invasion of Ukraine by Russia, which they were goaded into doing, I'm not a Russophile. I'm just saying I know the history behind that. Yeah. Uh, that was, uh, I, we, you know, our side, the NATO, the West wanted them to do that. Since that time, uh, we've lost, uh, what was it? I, I did the uh, calculations of the day. It was like we'd had 60% of the world's transactions in dollars prior to 2021. And uh, just right, right prior, I think, to, you know, 2020. 
And then in 2022, uh, it's uh, dropped to 46%. It's declining rapidly every year now. And now these headlines popping up. I mean, we weren't talking about the BRICS nations two years ago. That's Not right. like this. I mean, it was yeah. it was in the periphery of things I discussed, but nothing like this. You and there's a there's a coordinated effort to get away from the dollar. And if you if you read further into that article about gold repatriation, there's a frustration at the end of the article on Kitco where these central banks are saying, "Well, we still don't see any alternative. We're pulling our gold home. We want to own gold. We're trying to get rid of the dollar and get out of dollar holdings, but there is no alternative." That's what this summit in August is all about. Is mm-hmm. uh, Getting, having an alternative, that's the term Tina, there is no alternative. The, the, creating an alternative will further accelerate uh, the demise of the dollar being the w- world's reserve currency. And I'm not saying this to be doom and gloom like the dollar's going to zero. I think that the dollar's going to digital. Uh, it, to me, these kind of moves that, that our so-called leaders or uh, our overlords are making, to me, it looks like a, a controlled demolition. You wouldn't be making these moves if you wanted to keep the world's reserve currency status. Somehow, I think this is baked into it. So we that are paying attention need to see what our options are. Uh, We can't stop this. There's no political movement in the U.S., David, that can stop the dollar's demise now as the world's reserve currency. I think that is already that that horse has left the barn, uh, so to speak. So I think right now all we can do is just see where we're going to land. Uh, how we can protect ourselves. And there's a couple of different things, you know, the, protecting your wealth against inflation, loss of purchasing power, but more importantly, what you talk about, and that is being outside of the system. We have to have a mm-hmm. parallel system mm-hmm. of value and the, and uh, history shows us that that's precious metals. That's right. And, and of course, you know, that's a big part of what this whole BRICS thing is about as well. You know, it's not just, well, they seized this uh, money from Russia and they could do that to us as well. But they understand that once the system that they're pushing so hard gets in place of uh, digital currencies, and it's going to be a global uh, system, they, they've been very open about that, even uh, openly talking about, well, it's going to require, said the IMF, it's going to require that laws be changed and maybe even constitutions be changed in various countries so that we can have the central bank digital currency. They understand what a pervasive system of control it is because they want to do it to their own system, their own people as well in China and in Russia. But um, uh, they want to escape that uh, complete control system for themselves in the same way that uh, Trump would talk about how 5G, if the Chinese have the technology, oh, it's going to be used to control everything that we do. Uh, so we've got to have our own independent 5G. He wants to control and watch everything that you do. Uh, just like everybody else in in Washington wants to with 5G. But we don't want the Chinese doing it. So the Chinese are going to do the same thing. The Russians are going to do the same thing. They want to control and surveil everything that their people do, but they don't want to be caught up into that thing as well. And so that's a lesson for all of us uh, because they see these control uh, tactics coming and they want to get away from them. And um, it really is a big geopolitical realignment that is happening right now, isn't it, Tony? I mean, just like we saw with uh, the unification of Europe, you, you pointed out how slowly that's happened in the past. It was you know, Bilderberg met for the first time in 55, and then in uh, 56, they talked about having a euro. And it took a very long time for them to accomplish that. First, they had to create trade zones and other things like that. And then they uh, created some political structures. But then they, the glue, of course, is going to hold all that stuff together is going to be some kind of a common currency. And that's why they're trying to glue this, you know, UN, NATO, World Economic Forum, these multinational corporations trying to glue all that together with a uh, some kind of a global digital currency. That's what's coming. 
Well, if I recall, uh, Trump's answer to the Chinese in 5G was 6G. I think <laughs> if my memory serves me, he said, we yeah. need to be start talking about 6G. Yeah. I was noticing too, there was a, I think it was a finance minister from uh, India that was talking a couple of weeks ago and said, uh, and talking about central bank digital currency and what the premise of that was and say, well, you know, in real time, uh, the governments, the treasuries could control whether, uh, and, and whether you could buy ammunition mm -hmm. or, you know, or, or, or food. firearm or food. Or food. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Or any, anything that, uh, that they would deemed, uh, you know, or fuel. Uh, mm -hmm. that they would say, well, you can't buy that this week. That's what this is all about. Again, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, these are not your saviors. You know, a lot of people are talking about, well, the BRICS are going to, they're going to have a new uh, reserve currency. You're going to link it to gold. Well, I hate to break it to everybody. We already have a gold standard. It's called gold. It's around the world. It's yeah. universal. I, I, I find this argument about whether currency should be backed by gold or what, what, what the government should do. The government shouldn't be in the currency business. This is how we got into this mess in the first place. And we have a fake world built off fake money. It creates some real monsters. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny too, David. I I read a lot of history of gold, but I also go back to the uh just the story of the origin stories of communism. And you're seeing this today. Um, the communists always need gold. They always need money. You always gotta get, you know, they loaded down Trotsky. Uh, he was a newspaper reporter in New York, uh, you know, 1917, 19. Uh, 18, and they loaded him down with gold yeah. and uh, sent him to Russia. Uh, same thing with Lenin. Uh, you know, uh, the, the um, Warburg, Max Warburg, was the brother of Paul Warburg. He was the head of the central bank in Germany. They loaded down Lenin in, in a sealed boxcar with millions of dollars in gold. So it's the, the hypocritical uh, part of the, the commies and the Marxists. They always act like they don't want money, but that's truly what it's all about is the control of wealth and the power. Uh, they want that. And so, again, this is something that we look at history, they're going for the gold, they're going for the wealth, uh, and uh, they like fiat currency because it allows them to create a, a you know a fake deep state, but at the end of the day, they're always looking for the value somewhere, and uh, that's why it's important for us to, to understand how to be outside of their system. Yeah, they're not uh, anti-materialist. Uh, their fo followers may be. Their followers may have bought into that idea, but uh, no, they just want everything that you've got. Uh, that's the Marxists. They're the they're the uh, kleptocrats that are out there trying to steal everything from everybody. Yeah, that's an interesting story, and and I always thought it was funny. I had uh, somebody send me a link where I could get the movie. I haven't gotten it yet, but uh, they actually did a movie with Ben Kingsley about Lenin. Uh, being put on that train, SEAL train, going from Switzerland to Germany to start the Communist Revolution. They gave him $10 million in physical gold uh, to go do that. And um, that movie had uh, Ben Kingsley in it. I thought, that's interesting. I've never seen that here. It's not even available in the U.S. They don't want you to see that in the U.S. You can only get it uh, typically in uh, European format unless it's kind of a, a bootleg version of it. So um, uh, I, I thought that was uh, interesting that that story they don't want told. Uh, of of uh, the central banks and and using gold to start put the Russians the Russian communists in power, but of course that's uh, uh, they've always been behind that type of thing, and um, they are always the ones who push war, push revolutions, and all the rest of the stuff because that's how they make their big bucks. It's it's just yeah. uh, it's not doing the fees and and everything from us that they do on a regular basis. Well, these are bankers' wars. Yeah, you know that's the twentieth century is a slaughter pen of bankers' wars. And, uh, you know, I, I talking on my show, even going back a year, I talked about U S allies, you know, allies that we've had in the past, uh, people that we leaned on and people that we supported like Saddam Hussein, 
you know, or, or Gaddafi, you know, and these people that are dead now. And, uh, I was thinking about, uh, the, those really pathetic pictures or Noriega, of Zelensky. Right? Take, take What's a, that? Noriega, Manuel Noriega, Noriega. Right? who became right. a, absolutely, he, he's a strong man. It's like, what does that mean? It's strong man. <laughs> <laughs> Had to take him out. Said George H. W. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, yeah. be careful when you're a U.S. ally. I was thinking, and I, the, uh, the the pathetic pictures of Zelensky at that NATO summit <laughs> in his outfit, the Babylon Bee uh, yeah, had a great headline that. that said, uh, you know, man, man, man uh, attends party thought it was a costume part, something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, what it was. You know, regret, yeah. Regrets wearing a costume. He, he's just standing there by himself. Everybody else is all dressed up and his wife's in a very nice dress. Cause you know, she shops at uh, Paris and spends, what was it? $40,000 in an hour or something. But, uh, you know, she's, uh, she's meeting somebody and he's just kind of standing there by himself looking <laughs> That's a really funny picture. Yeah, it's funny how things can change very quickly. You know, stay humble. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that guy certainly wasn't. And that, and if you know about bankers' wars, if you know about what they prop up and what it brings, but that imagery really just looks to me that's going to be the the dollar soon. Like mm -hmm. I just think about like it's just let, nobody wants it anymore. I think that's going to happen. Not not tomorrow and not next week, but that's coming. I mean, it's just. When there's an alternative, it's just going to be left out of the party because of how of its behavior. Yeah, you know, the the, the I, I think it was the defense minister of Britain said we want to see gratitude. Like they're just like, why are you not grateful? <laughs> That's what happens. You know, you, you get somebody like a Zelensky that you prop up and you put up there, and you tell him he's the most important person in the world. You know, he well, he's definitely not grateful. I mean, he got very angry with these people, and they pushed back on it. You know, but Biden says, "What well, you know, we gave you more than everybody else combined." It's like, yeah, we noticed, and. uh you got other ministers there pushing back against him. He's demanding that he gets a, he's become this petulant child. Of course, I think he always was, but, uh, he's not even trying to hide it anymore. Uh, not, not a very good look, not a very wise move to make in that, uh, group of people and, uh, a really dangerous individual, a little megalomaniac, you know, who wants to escalate the war and he doesn't care what happens to his own people or the rest of the world. It, it truly is amazing. But, um, well, what's going on at, um, wise wolf gold tell us a little bit about uh, uh what's happening there well as you can see the spot prices of, of gold and silver have gone up uh, silver's up four percent uh, over the last month uh go, well, gone up since we've been on air i've got golds at 1961 luciferian bankster notes per troy <laughs> ounce on the yellow metal uh 1961 uh, silver's at 24 dollars and 73 cents that's kind of um, surprising to me because with all the uh, talk about i hadn't checked the price of it but with all the talk about it uh, the fact, oh, we've conquered inflation. You saw that, right? <laughs> I was going to bring that up. There's two headlines that, that I, I love to find contradictory headlines. That's my, one of my favorite hobbies now. But you see Drudge, it's got a smiling Ben Franklin on the $100 bill. Yeah. It was like inflation eases, uh, emer Fed emergency over. But if you go to the, just one couple links over when I do my search, there's Market Watch. There's gold and silver near one month highs as U.S. dollar weakens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, which one is it? Is it we got a great dollar inflation stopped, or is we've got a, a weak U.S. dollar and gold and silver up? Well, I'm I'm going to be betting against uh, the Drudge headline as I usually do now. Um, yeah, I don't think people got, are buying the PR uh, release out there. I think they're, they're going to put their money where they think things are actually going, which is uh, they're expecting more inflation. Well, there will be more inflation. Yeah. It's just mathematics. I mean, again, eighty percent of all the dollars created in the last forty-eight months, and uh, you've got the, the that's another thing is dollar velocity, right? You've got dollar velocity and the strength of, of a currency is based off of how much it's, it's de there's demand and how much is uh, the units in circulation. We created this massive amount of units 
but we're losing the demand. And it's not, again, it's not, you know, uh, it's very subtle. It's a percent at a time and it's going down. So I, I think the, the real, uh, you know, money is on, is on what's going to happen to commodities and the shift away from, from the dollar. So mm-hmm. uh, what I'm looking at, David, is just continuing getting supply. Uh, yeah. right now there's a little bit of ease. It's never, it's never going to back to the way it was before 2020. I don't see how it will. Um, but we still got supply. We've got uh, pretty quick turnarounds right now. Uh, if you want to place an order, we don't have a minimum. Uh, you can go to davidknight.gold if you want to get some physical precious metals. Uh, we'll, we'll help you. I've got, uh, Kenzie, uh, placing trades for me and, uh, helping customers. I got a, a great team here in Branson. I've got my location in, in Denison, Texas, and my son Houston is helping me. He's 18. He's, He's learning the business and uh, helping me there. Uh, so I'm kind of floating back and forth. I'm in Branson right now. Um, but we have Wolfpack, and that's another thing. that That's growing every day, and we're getting more and more people. Uh, more people that we get, the stronger that we get. Um, and so I've, I just bought, yesterday I told Kenzie, we bought a lot of the 10th-ounce silver pieces. I'm trying to get people more fractional silver. Mm-hmm. Um, just for trading and bartering and things like that. We've got a lot of pre-1965 coinage in great condition uh, that's going into the Wolfpack packages. And then I offered all David Knight listeners, and this isn't valid anywhere else. It's just David Knight. If you upgrade or join Wolfpack, I'm sending you a, a complimentary silver dollar. If for any reason you don't get one, please email uh, my staff and we'll, we'll, get, we'll get you your silver dollar. But I've got, I don't know, about 70 left. Wow. I think we had about 30 people join last week. So uh, I got about 70 left. So if you'll go to davidknight.gold and hit join Wolfpack, go check us out there because that's a great way uh, just to, to, to join and let, it, let us buy your medals for you. Uh, you will, I think, again, my cancellation rate is so low. Uh, that's just, I think, a, a, a testament to people liking their packages and the, and the variety. Well, it's a great plan. And I really do appreciate what you do for us with a special offer just for our listeners. And uh, always the, the support that you've given us has always been uh, so kind. And we really do appreciate that. And it's great to know, uh, somebody that you can actually trust. And, uh, I've known you for a long time, trust you. And, uh, it is uh, like, I was last time you were on, we talked about how these people were taken in, uh, by this site where they thought they were buying, I think it was crypto of some sort. And, um, uh, they were hustled the site. It was just a, a dummy site. I mean, you got to know who you're doing business with. So it's very important. And uh, so we really do appreciate what you're doing. Uh, that's a great offer for people. Uh, setting up a regular savings program is such a powerful thing. And I think people uh, don't realize the value of that, but it's especially true to have something that is going to be not only a hedge against uh, inflation and, and bad economic times, but against this ruthless uh, plan of surveillance and control that they're trying to impose on us. I mean, that to me, that is still the biggest aspect of uh, these metals. So thank you for doing that, Tony. Appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. And again, uh, you can find, you can get to Tony with uh, davidknight.gold that he set up, and that'll take you to Wise Wolf Gold, where Tony can give you a hand with that. Thank you. Have a, have a good week. We'll talk to you next week. Yes, sir. See you thank then. Thank you. All right. We're going to be right back, folks. Uh, stay with us.
deceit. Telling the truth is a revolutionary act. You're listening to The David Knight Show. All right, and we're back. Um, by the way, uh, let me thank uh, a couple people on uh, Rockfin and Rumble. Uh, Aaron Moss, thank you on Rockfin. He says, uh, on a tip, he says, <laughs> thank you. He says, here's a bone for Scout because he's a good boy. Yeah, he is a good boy. <laughs> Rumble, uh, YJ72. Thank you for the tip. He says, uh, lifting you up in the family for God's protection. Many blessings. Thank you. Also praying for the boy suffering from the vaccine injury as well as puppies to find forever homes. Yes. And, and by the way, you know, the, the, the Pyrenees puppy that's there, that's the, the real deal. The Pyrenees, the great Pyrenees, if they got a double dew claw, that is something that is, uh, highly regarded. And, um, and those, those dogs do have that. So just to, to let you know, uh, it's a great, uh, they're great dogs is all I can say. So if you let me know about that, we'll pass that on to them. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on with, uh, Andrew Tate, Tucker, and with Ray Epps, all these things around Tucker and Tucker's going to be also the kind of the center of attention. The first debate he's going to be, uh, there Trump will not be there, but Tucker will be there. And so uh, Tucker released what I think is like his ninth, um, yeah, his ninth, uh, show. Typically they've been about 10 minute shows and he's talked predominantly about one topic and then throw something else in at the end. I think at least that's what he did with the first one. I think he's followed that pattern pretty much. I haven't seen any of them except for the first one. And, uh, but he spent two and a half hours talking to, uh, Andrew Tate, who is, um, charged and alleged to have, um, done sex trafficking with women and abusing them. And, you know, he maintains that he's innocent and he was, uh, uh, Tucker and Tate were praised by Musk and by former New York city police commissioner, Bernie Carrick and many others, but a lot of people took him to task. And I think justifiably so as, uh, Eric Erickson was saying, Hey, you know, um, if you look at what he's charged with, and if you look at what, uh, conservatives are talking about this week with the sound of freedom and everything. Everybody's, and it is kind of strange that there is so much buzz all of a sudden about child trafficking. It makes me wonder, as I played that clip yesterday, makes me wonder if it is simply based on the movie and the fact that's brought this topic up, or is there something else that's going on with this? But he said, Tate is charged in Romania with rape, human trafficking, and forming an organized crime group to sexually exploit women. Are you an Andrew Tate right-winger, or are you a Sound of Freedom right-winger? You can't really be both. And so we look at this, and even if these charges of trafficking and rape are not true, look at what we do know about Andrew Tate. Uh, the guy is running, at, at the very least, he's running a, a porn site there. Is that not exploiting women? Is that not degrading our society? Why are we holding this guy up as a role model? Look, he's identified a real problem. And I was just talking about that before Tony came on, about how we want to denigrate men and we don't want to have fathers and they're, you know, all men are evil and that type of thing. And I understand the pushback against that. But you got to make sure that you don't jump off of the horse onto the other side, you know? Uh, there's, there's gotta be a balance there. And, uh, sometimes the solutions that were being offered are as bad as this problem. 
You had uh, Chuck Ross, who is a Washington Free Beacon reporter. He said some conservatives are defending a movie about a guy who helps sex trafficking victims, while other conservatives are hyping Andrew Tate. So um, other ones were talking about uh, uh, that. And, you know, when we... Um, one person said that this has got about the same amount of running. They criticized him for having a program that ran for two and a half hours. I thought that was kind of funny since mine runs for three hours. <laughs> uh, they said this is about the same running time as Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Well, the difference is my program doesn't run on just one topic or one interview. We try to mix it up with a variety of things and cover a lot of stuff. You know, Rush and most of the talk shows have always gone for three-hour blocks. It's one of the reasons why. I was doing it. Of course, when I used to do a three-hour radio show, uh, that was only two hours of content. Uh, but again, you know, people will listen while they're working, while they're driving, and a lot of things like that. So uh, that's not unusual for it to be that long. Uh, it is unusual for it to be that long with just a single interview and a single topic. But um, uh, another person who is uh, not a known celebrity but was still uh, pushing back on it um, was, um, uh, a, a person who said she was otherwise a fan of Tucker Carlson's show said, why are you interviewing a horrible man that runs a webcam porn business in Romania? He sells women. You know, we're just talking about some of the details of this, right? In other words, you know, he's selling them, he's exploiting them. The only issue is, are they okay with it? but they're still being exploited. Uh, I'm losing respect for Tucker, said another. This man traffics women, pays for sex, abused women, preaches faux masculinity. Yep, yep, it is faux masculinity. Not a good look for a supposed Christian and conservative when Tate is the antithesis of that. But you have to understand when you're talking about prostitution, Tucker himself was a prostitute uh, for big pharmaceutical companies. He prostituted himself to the drug companies with his complicity, with his silence for decades. He prostituted himself to the CIA, pushing back against 9-11 for many, many years. And now he comes out with this little too clever by half, well, I don't know, you know what about that Building 7? Well, you're not allowed to ask for building, about Building 7. Well, I guess Tucker's not allowed to give us any answers about Building 7 either. And he doesn't ask any questions except why can't people talk about it? But he doesn't have any questions. Could it be that he doesn't want to contradict himself as he was uh, mocking anybody who would talk about physical impossibility of what they were telling us in the official story? You know, you had in the JFK assassination, you had the magic bullet theory that was pushed out by Arlen Specter uh, when he was just an assistant uh, legal person. They rewarded him. He became senator for life essentially. But we got magic bullets all over the place with 9-11. All kinds of impossible things. From the speed and the, and the altitude that the plane was allegedly flying that hit the Pentagon. All kinds of things like that. Tate is a self-proclaimed misogynist who went viral for his controversial videos and social media posts about women, was charged with rape and human trafficking in Romania last month. And I got to say, regardless of whether or not those charges are true. Um, I would not want to have anything to do with promoting him. I understand that because he's got a big following, people like Tucker, people like Alex like to have him on their show. Joe Walsh 
So I had two and a half hours defending and singing the praises of an accused rapist and human trafficker. But regardless of what he's accused of, we know what he has done. And uh, so Carlson began, according to this article, with a monologue about the constant emasculation of American men. But is Andrew Tate the model for what we should, how we should oppose this? Do you want some guy who, you know, is cocky, proud, misogynistic, hates women, brags about it? Uh, somebody who, uh, you know, is uh, flaunting his sexuality and his pride and just how strong he is. Is that the role model? Maybe we ought to look at Jesus. You know, Jesus was not weak, but he was meek. And there's a big difference about that. Big difference in having some uh, meekness versus pride, arrogance, and hubris. There's a big difference in hating women than uh, not being dominated by hateful women. Big difference in that. Uh, recounting uh, the charges against him, he said he believes the Romanian government coerced the women to come forward, explaining that there is no evidence of actual crime. Well, wait a minute. Are you selling porn? You know, maybe that's not a crime. But is that something that we need to honor? Again, that's a, a matter of values there. Um, and uh, I don't know um, if that's really, uh, I don't understand why Tucker is focusing on that. Well, I do know why. It's because of the publicity. Uh, so it's uh, you know, his, his, um, what he's doing there, his fundamental business, is uh, something that ought to be pushed back against. And his pride, his hubris is just icing on the cake. And then if he is, he says, uh, the fact they chose such a heinous crime and they report it so heavily and they won't shut up. It's like, yeah, but, you know, but aren't you a pimp? You know, aren't you prostituting these girls? He says um, he's helping men to resist the slave programming. No, you're not. One of the biggest things that is enslaving men and taking them out of the real world and making them passive, Andrew Tate, is the porn like the stuff you sell. That's what's pacifying Americans. That's American men or Western men. That's, that's neutering them from the real world, that fantasy world where they don't have relationships, where they don't have anything that is real. You're selling them this fantasy world. Uh, you're profiting from all this stuff. No, you are enslaving them to porn. That's what you're doing. It's an addiction. One of the biggest addictions we got going. And uh, yeah, people who, <laughs> as Jesus would say, you know, they say uh, you know, they promise uh, freedom and liberty, but they themselves are slaves to sin, and they want to enslave you to that as well. Tucker asked him what he did in prison. He said, "Well, I smoked cigarettes, I did push-ups, and I read the Quran." Oh. So you're going to get 72 versions, uh, virgins with that, not versions, but, uh, yeah, he says, um, then they talked about the war in Ukraine and, uh, Tate says, if you're naive enough to believe that there are good guys and bad guys in wars and that it is as simple as good and bad, you need to do a little bit more investigation. And Tucker replied and said, that's the truest thing. Anyone who doesn't understand that should shut the F up. Well, you know, here's the problem, Tucker. Maybe, you know, you don't understand this because your dad was a propagandist for the CIA and the Voice of America. Maybe because you are a wannabe CIA guy. You don't understand that there really is something, a standard of good and bad. 
And there really is a time to defend life and liberty. The difference is that we used to have the concept of a just war. You don't have a war except to defend life. But if life has been, somebody has uh, broken into your home, broken into your country or whatever, it is a good thing to defend that and to fight that war. And it is a, it is a lie that is being sold to you. Another, another lie to pacify you. Oh, yeah, I'm so much above all of this stuff, says Andrew Tate and Tucker Carlson. Yeah, we don't want to get drawn into this stuff. Yeah. No, if, if somebody has, um, you, you want to fight it in a way to end it, right? Same rules as if somebody breaks into your home. You use whatever force, including lethal force, to defend yourself. Once that threat is over, if they're running away from you, even though they broke into your home, even though they got your TV set under their arm, you're not allowed to use force against them. Same type of thing. A justified war really operates on those same principles. Uh, you don't start a war. You have a war only to defend innocent life. You try to not hurt any innocent bystanders. And you do everything that you can to end it as soon as possible. Uh, that's the way you fight a good war. And there are good wars that have been fought for those reasons. Not the ones that we've seen in our lifetime. I understand that. But again, they're selling you a phony version of morality. They're selling you a phony version of masculinity. Don't fall for it. And then he threw in some stuff to get his creds up as part of this two and a half hour interview. They started talking about COVID and lockdowns and Sweden never did a thing. Where was their winter of severe illness and death? Well, that's true. Wow. That's an amazing truth bomb to finally fall two and a half years later. You know, we've known this from the very beginning. We've known this about Sweden for at least two years. They weren't doing lockdown. Nobody would. I remember, uh, I showed it many times, a Western mainstream media reporter going to Sweden. And he's standing in the street and he's got his mask on as he's doing his report in Sweden. And there's people in the background that are walking down the street on either side of him. Nobody is wearing a mask and they're looking at him like, what's his problem? I said, look at this. Doesn't this tell you how stupid this lockdown and mass stuff that Fauci and Trump are selling you and Burks, all these people they gave medals to, doesn't this tell you how stupid this is? These people are looking at him and smirking. What an idiot. Yeah, we didn't know this two years ago. Tate, Tucker? Yeah, we knew it. You weren't telling us. Tate believes the situation that he is in is a test from God. Really? <laughs> well, that's true as far as it goes. We're all being tested every day by God. Will we follow him? Uh, here's the test that you don't realize, Tate. Uh, God is saying, will you forsake this exploitation of people, Will you uh, of women? Will you forsake the enslavement of men to pornography? Will you follow me? And he's saying that to each and every one of us. He's saying that to the people who consume his porn. He's saying that to the people who consume his hatred for women. Will you follow him? It bothers me so much to see the phony grifters, the attention grifters that are out there like Tucker Carlson and the people who are selling you down the river of slavery 
like Andrew Tate. Now, I know his big, uh, you know, big thing about him with uh, Alex and all the people there. They love him. Uh, yeah, he thinks it's a test from God. It is. He says, I will suffer as much as I need to suffer to stick to my convention, convictions. What are his convictions? Uh, I don't know that he's got any yet, but if these allegations are true, he may wind up getting some convictions. Only those kind. There doesn't appear to be any other convictions under consideration on the horizon, does it? I always think about that way. When we were doing our paperwork for my daughter's adoption, um, <clears throat> we said, uh, so uh, what's going on with this, uh, you know, your background? What did you get out of this video business? I said, well, we did it because, well, we mentioned it as, a, as, as, an, as an explanation. Said we got out of the video business because of our, our convictions. She said, uh, what are the nature of your convictions? I need to see what those charges were before we proceed with this adoption. I said, no, no, it's not that kind. It's not the Andrew Tate kind of a conviction. Uh, Tate said, I think what certain people in the world would be most afraid of is white people of a certain class and black people of a certain class shaking hands and saying, this is BS. Okay, so <clears throat> what's your reason? What, what would be the reason that people would wake up for this and push back against it? I mean, you know, maybe they understand that uh, they these people trying to engineer a race war or something like that. Is that going to be enough of a reason for them to unify after everything that they've been told their entire life? After the way that the government has raised them in the government's schools? Is, is that what's going to do the trick for this? I mean, maybe um, <clears throat> you think, uh, Tate, do you think maybe we need fathers and families or something like that? Do you think maybe the thing that would unify them would be, I don't know, the Bible? that says that God is made of one blood, all nations, that shows we have a common ancestry, that shows that we have a common humanity. You think that might be the thing that would unify people? That they might unify around Christ? Or are they just going to unify because they're in rebellion to authorities? Is that going to be the thing that's going to do it for us? I mean, there's just so many problems with uh, everything about this interview. But I had said before, you know, uh, Ray Epps, I, I said when Tucker got fired, I said it's about the Ray Epps thing. And now they filed suit. And, um, you know, it was, uh, they fired him. It was not only the fact that everybody was saying, well, no, it was a, Dominion demanded it and all this other kind of stuff. I don't believe that for a moment. There are many other people at Fox News that were pushing this and pushing it harder than than Tucker was. What Tucker did was he pushed this Ray Epps thing. Now, you think it's a coincidence that Ray Epps goes on in 60 minutes on a Sunday and the following Monday they abruptly terminated uh, Tucker as he was getting ready to do a rebuttal to that? They said, no, 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 no. We've talked about this enough. We've escalated this enough. It's gone on for too long. They were trying to cut their losses and trying not to get uh, a lawsuit. And, you know, as all of this is happening, Tucker and so many others are still saying, oh, you know, we've got all these uh, feds. Feds are, you know, federal uh, provocateurs, agent provocateurs there on January the 6th. Well, I'm, that's absolutely true. I was telling people that for two months. I was pleading with people, don't go to January the 6th. Don't give money to Alex's Stop the Steal or Trump's Save America. It's a grift, and it's a setup to go there. And I said it all the way up to that morning. I said, 
you know, here it is, Wednesday, January the 6th. Yesterday, we had the election in Georgia, and guess what? We just turned over the Senate to the Democrats. Why? They knew that there were problems with a lockdown mail-in election, and nothing was done to stop that. Trump sucked up all the oxygen around himself, and he sucked up all the money. You know, give him uh, money, the first 8,000 goes to him, not to fighting this. And uh, so I said, uh, look, if you go there, there's going to be agent provocateurs everywhere. And I said it all the way up to that morning. Uh, and program ended, and then it all kicked off. Um, so you know, what was, uh, what was uh, Tucker doing to warn people about that stuff? Did he not know? Yeah, he knew. He knew it was phony. He knew it was phony. And as I said before, even if Ray Epps is a Fed, let's just say that he's a Fed. Did he do more to lure people into that situation than Trump, than Alex, than Tucker, than Darren Beatty, all these other people who are using him as a scapegoat to push attention away from themselves to him? Not necessarily attention away you know, from the, from the Democrats, but attention away from the people that they grifted, the people they threw under the bus. They don't want them getting angry with them, so they create a scapegoat out here. But you understand that the people who were there on January the 6th that were misled, they were misled by Fox, they were misled, misled by InfoWars, they were misled by a lot of other people, Revolver, Darren Beatty's thing. They were misled by those organizations, Trump, far more than anything that Ray Epps could do. Even if the worst case uh, aspects of everything they accuse him of, of being an agent provocateur, it's minuscule compared to what they did. And that's why I say, this is a, uh, a misdirection. It's to save themselves, not from the federal prosecutors, but to save themselves from the people that they threw to the federal prosecutors. You understand? So um, uh, Epps is seeking an unspecified amount of damages. I don't know yet about this. Kind of interesting to see that they had to sell their five-acre ranch and sell their small business. It was a wedding business that they had in Arizona. They uh, got a 350-square-foot mobile home, parked it at a remote trailer park, they said, in the mountains of Utah. People online are selling T-shirts that say, Arrest Ray Epps. People recorded songs about him. They posted YouTube stuff about him. Yeah, this is one of the things that really bothered me about all this stuff. Uh, Darren Beatty was who really focused on Ray Epps and made him you know, the focal point for the anger of people about January the 6th. Uh, Darren Beatty did the same thing, as I said before, with Stuart Rhodes and other people. I said, you know, the feds are out there trying to arrest as many people as possible. Do you really need to be demanding the arrest of uh, Stuart Rhodes and the arrest of uh, Ray Epps and all this other? Uh, maybe they're innocent. Why are you, you have decided simply because of a video and because uh, they dropped the charges against him, you've decided that, he needs to go to jail. And unless they put him in jail, you're never going to leave him alone. What's the matter with these people? I mean, how insane is that? It just makes me want to throw up. When I saw what Darren Beatty did about uh, Stuart Rhodes, for example. Oh, yeah, he's a, he's a Fed agent, too. 
they're not going to put him in jail. Oh, and then they bring up the charges. Well, they just came up with seditious conspiracy because that is so far over the top. They'll never get a conviction on seditious conspiracy. Yet he's convicted and he's looking at 18 years unless he can get that overturned on appeal. And I haven't seen any retractions from Darren Beatty about that. Crickets. He doesn't care. I don't think we need to be throwing more people under the bus. I think people were thrown under the bus by his, by him for fame because this got him on one program after the other. Everybody <clears throat> had him on. It wasn't just Tucker. Alex had him on. Glenn Beck had him on. Steve Bannon had him on. And they keep having him on over and over again because he throws out these wild, reckless statements and he destroys people's lives. I think that's reprehensible frankly. Uh, so, you know, what, what happened to the fact that Antifa was the big enemy on January 6th? Remember that? And I said, no, it's federal fed, uh, provocateurs. I said that morning, I stuck to it. I said, oh, well, look, you know, maybe it is, uh, maybe they did have, they had one guy who was Antifa who got in there. Uh, but, um, no, let me tell you who the provocateurs were. The same people were pointing the fingers at Ray Epps. Conspiracy theories about Epps have lived on in large part because of a couple of videos that were there. And I talked about this the other day. Um, the day before, it says we got to go in there. we got to peacefully go into the Capitol and all the rest. Of it. So they start screaming fed, fed. I think um, uh, one of our listeners um, said uh, that was Baked Alaska. Who did I don't know, you know who did it. Uh, Steve Swan said it was Baked Alaska. Take, take his word for it. But regardless of you know, who did it? it, it, you look at the video and that looks damning. It looks damning that he's whispering in somebody's ear, but that person had told the federal government, the FBI, when they questioned him, he said, no, what Ray was telling me was don't, you know, calm down, don't get crazy. And Epps had said the same thing. I think there was a third party that was involved that verified that. And, but then now you got the guy who he whispers in his ear and he goes running off into the barricades and starts attacking people. And so that was his original story, his story under oath. But now when it's not under oath, he's calling these radio stations. And cause he, you know, thinks that's going to help him to become a celebrity victim, I think. And now he's changed his story. But of course he's not under oath when he calls in to talk to a radio program. Uh, so it's a, it's a real disgusting thing that we see here. And of course, as they point out and, uh, uh, this is the um, New York Times article about this. Said on several occasions, Mr. Carlson brought onto his show Darren Beatty, proprietor of uh, Revolver News, whom the complaint describes as the principal person driving the false story that Epps was a federal agent planted as a provocateur to trigger the Capitol violence on January the 6th. Again, the provocateurs were Trump and the right wing media that. Is attached to him like a bunch of sucker fish. I doubt that they're, I don't think they've made BD a focus of the lawsuit because he's not an attractive defendant. You know, Tucker Carlson still getting like what, 25 million or something a year from Fox News besides some other money that he had. And, um, uh, you know, Fox News, of course, deep, deep pocket. So they're going to be the focus of the lawsuit for we don't know how much. Carlson continued. They said to spread unfounded accusations against Epps outside of Fox News. As recently as March, he appeared on a podcast and told former Fox News personality Clayton Morris, quote, Ray Epps clearly was working for somebody. 
He was not a pure civilian. Yeah, it continues. We'll be right back. Listening to the David Knight Show. Well, we have um, congressional hearings talking to the guy that is uh, Biden is pushing up to take the place of Mark Milley, who is retiring. Uh, Milley, of course, the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. They got another guy to take his place, a guy who was uh, elevated by President Trump. And yet people have a lot of questions uh, about this particular guy because he appears to be fully embracing the uh, DEI, the diversity, equity, inclusivity stuff, critical race theory, and all the rest of these things. And uh, as part of uh, this uh, hearing, uh, this uh, particular video, uh, this uh, interchange happened. I'm aware of a situation, and was just brought to my attention, where a young woman in the South Dakota National Guard experienced a situation at basic training where she was sleeping in open bays and showering with biological males who had not had gender reassignment surgery, but were documented as females because they had begun the drug therapy process. This 18-year-old girl was uncomfortable with her situation, but had limited options on how to deal with it. If she raised uh, her hand, she feared she'd be targeted for retaliation. She could have recycled, which would have delayed her freshman college start and would not have provided a guarantee of a different situation. She could request uh, to leave the Guard for religious purposes and not be able to pursue her dream of serving our country. General Brown, this is a challenging situation. If confirmed as the chairman, how do you propose to handle situations like this, which I truly believe may be impacting recruitment and morale by placing a disproportionate emphasis on gender-related ideology. Senator, one of the things I've, I've thought about in, throughout my career, as you're being inclusive, you also don't want to make other individuals uncomfortable. And so there's areas, of, as we look at our policies and approaches and get feedback like this, we have to take a look to see if we can improve on our uh, how we uh, approach situations like this, and, and as I've done as the uh, service chief, as I've done throughout my career, if confirmed, I will continue to do so. Thank you, sir. Wow. I don't know what to say about that. It just shows how bad things are. That was a Republican senator from South Dakota, Mike Rounds, and he's talking to Brown. So you got Rounds and Brown. <laughs> but uh, the fact that he would say, 
this is a really difficult decision. You know, how, how do we make a decision? This is what the senators, the Republican senators say, you know, we got this 18 year old girl and uh, she's got a shower with trannies, uh, people who are biological men, but think that they may be women or something, right? Uh, it's kind of like Private Benjamin meets Norman Bates at the, psycho, at the uh, Bates Hotel, right? <laughs> it's this totally psycho situation. And he says, I understand this is a very difficult thing. You know, how do we, how do we get these competing rights of people? Are you kidding me? Are you? The back and forth of this thing is as frightening as the actual scenario because you know that they're going to only make this worse. Yeah, she could get out of the guard, you know, Private Benjamin, and she could start over, but then that's got issues with her. So, you know, what, what does she do about this? Uh, should she just shower with Norman Bates? Right now, Brown is the chief of staff for the Air Force. Trump appointed him in 2020, and um, he has been a controversial nominee for Biden to make him the chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And the reason is because of all of this LGBT, CRT, DEI stuff. And I'm telling you that Trump doesn't have a problem with that stuff. He never had a problem with that stuff. And we saw after he became president, he started doing something. He bragged about his credentials with all of this. And I'm telling you, if he gets in a second time, he's going to be as bad or worse than Biden. So here's a person that everybody's saying, well, I don't know. This guy has so, got his head so far into this stuff. This is going to be really bad if he becomes chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. This is a guy that Trump put in and Biden wasn't. They're the same side, two different sides of the same coin. Not much difference between either one of them, especially on these issues. Trump is saying things now. Don't listen to what he says. Look at what he did. It's important to listen to what a candidate says. But after they've been in office, you go on their record. Stop listening to them, especially if what they say conflicts with what they did. It's just a scam. On Monday before the confirmation hearing, the American Accountability Federation uh, Foundation, a government watchdog group, filed a complaint with the Office of Air Force Inspector General because he's uh, head of the Air Force right now. That's where Trump put him. Citing past comments suggesting that as the top official in the Air Force, Brown hired and promoted based on racial considerations, an article in the Washington Post, also from 2021, quotes Brown as saying, the other thing that we have to do is to ensure that we have diversity on the military advisory boards, but also diversity on the candidate lists. Also on Monday, leaders of conservative organizations, along with more than a dozen retired military leaders, signed a letter to senators asking that they explore his focus on DEI. I think it's better if we say D-I-E. Because the military is dying. Our, our institutions are dying. This country is dying. And look, what they were saying there, you know, he says, well, I think it's really important that we got to try to balance these things out. You know how they balance it out, don't you? That's what intersectionality is about. And they talk about intersectionality. You know, they have all of these different attributes, many of them things that you can't change that are immutable, like your sex, your skin color, and all these other things. 
and they check the boxes. And then they say, well, this attribute that you can't change is bad. And this other attribute that you can't change, that's good. And then they rank you based on how many good and bad boxes you have checked based on their criteria. It is the opposite of merit. And, you know, when you go to fight a war, that is the ultimate meritocracy, isn't it? Uh, are you going to uh, wait? You know, we got a rainbow flag brigade coming up. So, you know, Ru Russia, China, uh, you know, uh, make way for them. You know, don't uh, come after them too hard. Right. Uh, give them some preferential treatment because, you know, they are to be honored. Is that how that's going to work in a real war? Uh, CRT programs, critical race theory programs, which pit racial groups against each other, plus demographic diversity, equity, and inclusion quotas that prolong racial discrimination and weaken meritocracy in the military, are demoralizing the troops, said a letter that was put together by more than a dozen retired military leaders. The letter says, at the same time, the armed forces are wasting time and resources on expensive climate change projects. Yeah. Uh, how can we get a battery-operated uh, aircraft carrier, right? <laughs> we don't want nuclear power. <laughs> we got to have batteries. You know, you go back and you look at history and, and you look at the moves that were being made. Uh, by British intelligence and the British country, you know, to try to grab the oil supplies that were being discovered in the Middle East of the early part of the 20th century is very strategic. You know, the British understood that it was going to be important to have oil rather than coal to power their ships and other things like that and airplanes and things. And so they're focused on, you know, grabbing those supplies. Why don't we pay attention to that kind of stuff today? No, no, no. They're, they're talking about how we're going to have electric tanks or whatever on the battlefield. Yeah, I'd like to see what size battery uh, you're going to have on an electric tank to get that massive thing moving and going. And, and where's your charging stations going to be? And how are you going to keep the power grid up for these things on the battlefield? I mean, all this stuff is ridiculous. And that's what they're focused on. Climate change issues for the military. And we've heard over and over again, they're saying, well, climate change is a bigger threat to us than uh, any of these uh, foreign countries. And so we've got to make that a priority. So the priority is climate change. The priority is DEI and LGBT and pride flag and the rest of the stuff. So they're alienating traditional families by indulging extreme demands from LGBT activists. They're trying to extend their leftist agendas to children on military bases elsewhere. Uh, so, um, Brown said, well, I think about for my, I think about for my own career and all of our members, all they want is a fair opportunity to perform by providing that fair opportunity. They do not want to be advantaged or disadvantaged or discounted based on their background. That's what he told to, uh, a Democrat Senator who's talking to him. Well, what he's describing there is a meritocracy. But what he has done, what he's promoting with all this DEI, CRT, etc., is exactly antithetical to that. You know, it is not about uh, the opportunity to perform. Uh, that's equal opportunity. He wants equity. It's not that at all.
That's what I'm saying. You got to look at what these people do. You know, this is deceptive stuff that uh, Trump talks about. That's also deceptive. We have to understand and learn to discern the difference between what these people say and what they do. They can all talk about how, oh, we just, you know, I, I love the second amendment, but you know, you need to turn in those guns. That's this type of thing. Senator Eric Schmidt, Republican of Missouri brought up concerns from an August the 9th memo from Brown and others about aspirational goals for recruiting diverse officers. General, do we have too many white officers in the air force? He said, Brown said, um, Senator, what I look at is the quality of the officers we have. We look at the aspects of everyone who is qualified and meets the qualification. Schmidt then said, but in your August 9th memo that you signed on to, you said there should be a reduction essentially of about 9% of white officers. That's 5,400 people. This is the real impact of this desire of the Biden administration. I'm saddened to see this in this memo, this obsession with race-based politics being interjected into our military. And so, uh, you know, he says, well, no, I think everybody needs to have uh, equal opportunity. And all this kind of stuff. He says, no, he said, um, if that is what was in this memo, I wouldn't be asking these questions. He said the Biden administration has injected, interesting choice of words. They've injected abortion, injected COVID-19, and DEI politics in the military. He says it's a cancer on the best military in the history of the world. Those men and women deserve better than this. He said DEI is an ideology based on cultural Marxism. Yes, they are marching through the institutions and they're marching through the military right now. The Marxists are. You have to understand that it was the best military in the world. Was. And it had to be conquered from within. Because it couldn't be conquered from without. And you also have to understand how God is withdrawing his hand of blessing from us in terms of the leaders that we have and the military leaders that we have. Uh, so... Uh, the Biden administration's opposition, and just to double down on this, not just this guy. And by the way, this guy uh, already had a record of this stuff when Trump put him in charge of the Air Force. Biden likes Trump's appointee so much that Biden is going to make him charge of everything. Chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And as this is all happening, just in case you think that they still want to do things on the basis of merit, no, the Biden administration just issued a statement outlining its opposition to the latest military spending bill that would require promotions to be based only on merit. So they actually put this in to the um, National Defense Authorization Act. Said, okay, that's, this is the thing that we use to fund the military. Let's make it a condition that you're going to only promote people based on merit. And so the Biden administration replied to that and said, this administration strongly opposes the House's sweeping attempts to eliminate the department's long-standing DEI efforts and related initiatives to promote a cohesive and inclusive force. And it's not inclusive at all, and it is not cohesive. It is divisive. The exact opposite. Jim Banks, who has taken the lead in this, a GOP congressman, said, we're using the NDAA to get rid of wokeness at the Pentagon. So what we're putting into this, uh, we want to slash DEI pay, require merit-based promotions, eliminate chief 
diversity officers, reinstate service members who did not take the COVID vax, defund Navy drag queen program, and banning CRT. But then uh, he gave an update as the um, um, Biden administration pushed back. He says, well, it tells you everything you need to know about the Biden administration, the fact that they uh, oppose this. Kelly Lacko said uh, the White House is taking these issues with Republican-led provisions, uh, saying that the administration's opposition to reinstating unvaxxed service members, quote, is nothing more than an attempt to punish religious people and conservatives. Yeah, that's what it is. That's what this was about. It was about pushing those people out of the military. And as um, Joel Skousen has said, and I agree with him, uh, it was a real blessing for those people to get out of the military because I think God, I think a war is coming. I think God is really going to slam this thing. And we're going to need to have people who have military experience and knowledge uh, because we're going to need to have them against this global army that's going to be put together in the aftermath of what is coming. We'll be right back. next move. And now, the David Knight Show. You know, I look at some of these uh, sincere but useful idiots who are pushing this climate stuff. We were just talking about uh, the military and their obsession with this issue. Uh, but if these people get their way, it's going to be horrific for all of us. They're not just harming themselves, but they're harming us. You know, we've had the people, remember, uh, that glued themselves to the floor of that Porsche dealership in Germany. And then after a short period of time, said, oh, um, you know, can you bring us some buckets? We've got to go to the bathroom and we need some water and all this other kind of stuff. And it's like, nope. And they just walked out, <laughs> left them there. Should have thought about that. And that's something to think about, isn't it? You know, you might ought to think about the consequences of what you're, the stupid things that you're doing, consequences that they're going to eventually have. Here's another example of it. Here's a couple of people, uh, again, from Germany. They used concrete and epoxy resin mixture. Look at this, two of them. And, and they chopped up, they glued themselves to the asphalt in protest with uh, epoxy resin and concrete. 
And um, so the officials came along just to get them out of the road where they were in the way. Uh, they just chipped up the concrete. Now, these two clowns, uh, women, looks like, I think both of them, uh, have got their hands deeply embedded in this concrete and epoxy resin and the asphalt. And they said this may require potential amputation of their hands. Is that a tragedy? Frankly, I don't think so. I have no sympathy for them, quite frankly. Uh, they did that themselves. They didn't think about it, that any more than the, the guys, or I don't know if it's guys or women, who glued themselves to the floor of the Porsche dealership. And as sad and as tragic as it may be, to me, it kind of falls in the same category of the person who gets drunk and drives their car into your family's car and kills your family and themselves. Do we weep over the person who did that? You know, they basically brought it on themselves. The consequences of what these people do, they don't understand anything. You know, why do we keep paying attention to people like this? I don't know. But here's a good example. Two different actors. And look at how on this issue, which, again, 2023, the climate MacGuffin is now back, you know, on bat. It's the pedestal thing that's being lifted up. They put the other one on hold for a while, although behind the scenes, they're still working on it. Just like behind the scenes, they were still working on the climate MacGuffin through their COVID MacGuffin as they locked everybody down. But now it's uh, front and center again. And I just played for you yesterday, you know, Carrie and, uh, you know, going around to uh, this, you know, NATO meeting and stuff and talking about, we got people, trillions of dollars, investment, investment time. Everybody get in on this. Now, trillions of dollars represented here, Mr. President. We're all going to do something about this, Mr. King, and all the rest of the stuff, you know, Mr. King Charles. And, uh, <laughs> and so you've got two different actors. Now, one of them has studied nothing but acting his entire life. Now, the other one is even more successful. And um, he has, uh, before he became an actor, uh, he got a degree in electrical engineering. He got a degree and uh, a master's degree in control theory. He was working on his doctorate when he did some stuff and, and thought, oh, this is fun. And, and that kind of became his career. So that is Rowan Atkins and um, Mr. Bean, right? And uh, so Atkinson, sorry, uh, and uh, Mr. Bean and, and, He's the one who's got the engineering background, the master in control systems. The other guy that I'm talking about is Mark Ruffalo. What's he known for? Well, he was the Hulk. And, uh, you know, um, he got famous because of computer-generated artwork as uh, he attacks uh, the uh, gas industry, and the people came back and pointed that out. But when you look at Rowan Atkinson um, and... Um, this is this condescending article from uh, somebody who I'm sure they are in a position to uh, judge what he has to say, right, uh, with their scientific background. Uh, Mr. Bean and his hijinks are always a delight to watch on screen, but he claimed electric vehicles aren't better for the environment than gasoline vehicles, and we kind of wish that he would have stuck to the jokes. Well, I kind of wish that these people would stick to their area of expertise. And when you look at this, again, he made the, and I've talked about this before, he made the argument that if you look at the overall environmental impact of electric vehicles, it's far worse than it is for internal combustion engines. And he said, uh, 
electric vehicles may be a bit soulless because uh, he is, um, you know, after he became very wealthy, he got some very expensive, uh, high-performance cars, and he loves cars. He says, so they may be a bit soulless, but they're wonderful mechanisms, fast, quiet, until recently very cheap to run. But increasingly, I feel a little bit duped. When you start to drill into the facts, electric motoring doesn't seem to be quite the environmental panacea that it is claimed to be. And so this person then decides they will fact check him, except they don't. Well, they do. They authority check him. Oh, but uh, unfortunately, the facts that he's referring to are coming from pro-dirty energy groups that have a financial interest in gasoline vehicles sticking around. But we have this report from another group, which if they look at it, find that they have interests in this other stuff. And they don't go through and say, well, he said this, but these people say that. And so here's why they're right and he's wrong. No, it's simply, well, he's associated with things that he's saying. He's associated with this other group. And, and I'm saying that this other uh, contrasting group is correct. They're just arguing from points of authority. Now, these people are right because politically I agree with them. Again, they don't contrast any of the uh, statements that he's making that uh, supposedly are contrasted by these other people. No, it's just competing authority. You know, you're not going to critically analyze the facts or the conclusions. No, you're just going to have the competing authorities there. But you don't see that same type of thing when it is coming from the people they agree with. Um, and uh, again, you look at uh, Mark Ruffalo. He says, for all you climate deniers who have worked for the oil and gas industry. See, anybody who is a climate denier, we're working for the oil and gas industry. No, I'm working for my freedom. And my freedom comes from not being tethered to the grid. That is an act of enslavement. He said, mostly you flagrant politicians, you have screwed us, your children, and generations to come, says Mark Ruffalo, who knows nothing but acting. All this for greed and selfishness, says the actor who's been handsomely paid. <laughs> and, and so uh, the uh, U.S. Oil and Gas Association uh, responded to that. And um, they said, uh, uh, we don't care what you think. You should be grateful that millions of workers in the energy industry were willing to show up with our kids and pay 15 bucks to watch your movies. A simple thank you would suffice. But your whole career is based on you being a computer-generated image. Were it not for CGI and digital artists, nobody would even know who you are. We don't care what you think. Well, good for them. They might also point out, that without uh, the energy infrastructure, uh, there wouldn't be anybody watching his movies at all. <laughs> they wouldn't be able to get to the movie theater to see them, and there wouldn't be any energy to uh, run the projectors or even to light up your TV set or to run your internet when you're streaming it down. But it really does come back to the minerals, doesn't it? The Biden administration is helping the Chinese Communist Party by restricting domestic mining, says a Minnesota state senator. And he's exactly right. You know, they keep saying, well, we got to keep the oil in the ground. Well, these same people 
who say, well, it's not a problem, all these rare earth minerals that we need to have that China's got to lock on. It's not a problem about the slave labor that's getting the cobalt. It's not a problem about having access to lithium or the fact that China's going to retaliate, keep the uh, uh, germanium and other, other things that um, we need to have for semiconductors. No, they don't want to just keep the oil in the ground. They want to keep the minerals in the ground. Biden wants to lock everything away. He says, this is contrary to your own objectives. No, it isn't. Because if you understand what their objectives are, their net zero objectives are to make sure that we don't have anything, that we don't have cars, that we don't have electricity, that we don't have any of this stuff. That's their objective. He said, Minnesota is the largest deposits of copper, cobalt, nickel, platinum, and other products that the renewable energy industry needs. But Biden is locking this down and making sure we got to get it from China. I wonder why he'd be doing that. You know, uh, he's been the best friend of the chairman that they could ever have, just uh, as Hunter Biden reminded us. Well, that's it for today. Uh, just to point out, he says, we got enough here to last for 140 years and to supply all this stuff, but you won't let us get at it, just like you won't let us get at the oil. We got to get everything from China. I wonder why. David Knight Show is a critical thinking super spreader. If you've been exposed to logic by listening to the David Knight Show, please do your part and try not to spread it. Financial support or simply telling others about the show causes this dangerous information to spread farther. People have to trust me. I mean, trust the science. Wear your mask, take your vaccine, don't ask questions. Using free speech to free minds. It's the David Knight Show.